We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ethaniel says, hey, Brian and Vince, is it feasible to rotate defensive backs in a similar manner to how Notre Dame rotates defensive linemen? I don't think so. Um, it's a good question. I don't think so in the same way. I so, don't love recruiting sec- – or excuse me. I don't love rotating secondary players in the middle of a series unless it's changing to a nickel. So you're not bringing someone out per se. You, sometimes, sometimes you may go nickel and you take a safety out and put you know another safety, and then you also take a D lineman and put another corner, another safety. I don't love the idea of just rotating that way. I think what you can do, however, to your to your question is, I think you can rotate from series to series with DBs. Uh, whole, you need to be careful. Group, the whole no, group, a, a player here and there, because you know, I, I'm, I'm, but you never I'm do that on the D line. I'm comparing it to D line because a yeah. lot of sometimes they'll bring in the entire second group. And rarely, okay. rarely. What what you'll see happen is is and, and we've talked about this is what you'll see is is you'll see like in 2018 they did this a lot. John Bonner and Jerry Tillery started the game together, but if you then watch the rest of the game, they never they hardly ever had Heinish and Tungvaloa in the game together. It was always I think Heinish was went with Tillery, and Tungvaloa Mosa was in with Bonner, so they would rotate that way where there was always a, a veteran defensive interior yeah. guy. There have been times when they've done that, Vince, but it's not often where okay. they bring in a whole second line. Now, could you do that in the secondary? Yeah, you could, but I'm more referring to it as, to me, honestly, I almost look at it more of like what we've talked about with offensive line rotations, where it's a series-by-series series thing. But even then, you have to be careful, especially with corners, because part of being a successful corner is really getting a read on your opponent. Mm-hmm. You know, I know it's, I know it's, this is his giveaways, and when he does this, and if you don't, if you're not getting the consistent reps against him, and you're not seeing that, you can maybe have some problems later in the game. But if you have a guy that has to play, then, yeah, you figure out a way to get him in the game. And But I think it's more of a series by series. Very good question. Yeah, it is. Um, I, I'm going to let you try to pronounce this name. Delali is what I say. Delali. Okay. Delali. I mean, I could be wrong, but they've right never corrected the me. I'm impressed. Okay. Uh, Delali says, is getting Keeley and Vernon the same as it was getting to it and Lynch, or is it better? I, I, the jury's got to still be out, though. These guys just finished their sophomore year. Yeah, I mean, they got Lynch. 
was a junior when they got him. Stefan was a junior when I mean Stefan committed to Notre Dame, I believe, in September of his senior year. Okay. Aaron committed to Notre Dame that summer before his senior year. So I mean, they're way ahead of the game. Way, you, you yeah. know. So um, here's here's the way I would say it, it is a little better is the fact that Vernon is such a higher-ranked recruit. Remember, when, when Notre Dame first got on Aaron Lynch, he was a three-star recruit. He was not a highly-ranked recruit. Stefan was somewhat highly-ranked, but again, Stefan didn't commit till the fall of his senior year, I believe, was when he first committed Notre Dame. And then, of course, he decommitted, and uh, they got him back. But it was much later in the game, whereas now the reason it's better is whether it's they're, whether they're a better duo or not, it's hard to say, because I honestly don't remember watching Stefan as a sophomore. I remember watching Stefan as, as a junior, but I don't know if I ever watched Stefan to it as a sophomore yeah. to be able to compare him to these two players. However, from a reputation standpoint, neither of those guys were as highly ranked as Brennan Vernon. Now, they became that highly ranked, right? After dominating a senior, Stefan blew up and, and got higher ranked. Aaron became a five-star. But they weren't when they committed to Notre Dame. And so it didn't necessarily have the needle-moving impact that landing Brennan Vernon might have had from a reputation or a perception standpoint, if that makes sense. Makes perfect sense to me. That's, that's why, <clears throat> excuse me, that's why I think it, the jury's still out a little bit because these guys still have two more years in high school and there's so much development and there's so many things that can change between now and then. Um, and so, yeah, like you said, those guys committed a full year later um, than these guys did. And yeah. they were they were lower ranked at this point in their careers, right. so right. Um, the jury's still out a little bit. But yeah, I think it has all the makings of being better. I mean, Honestly, but, Vince, that it, it wasn't until the last five years I've ever even watched a sophomore's film. Right, right. I mean, well, we didn't really have things a you have this right. year because that, of COVID cases, and everything else too. Well, but also recruiting is sped up so much. That too, no but question. My, but my point is, like, I never no, Notre Dame didn't have kids on their radar really as sophomores right. back ten years ago. So yeah, I, why right. would I watch a sophomore's film? You know. So, right. and when you're going to compare kids, you have to compare them to where they were at the same age of their development. Yes. You don't compare Brennan Vernon to what Aaron Lynch was as a senior. The best player in the country at defensive end, even if it, whether it's him or somebody else, is not going to be as good as a sophomore as Aaron Lynch was as a senior. Stefan Tua was as a senior. Now, could they end up becoming better? Maybe. They've got tools. Right. But, uh, you know, in you know, my stance, I, I think Keeley's got an even higher ceiling than, than Vernon does. But we need to see them develop first. Yeah. It's still very early in the process. I mean, right. we've talked about this before. During the Lou Holtz era, kids didn't commit usually until after their senior seasons were over. Yeah. These kids are committing before they even start their junior season of high school. It's crazy. It's just a different animal. It's just a completely different animal. Uh, Jarrett Grace uh, says, related to D-Rock's questions above, does Notre Dame have anything in-house related to accounting or CPAs to help these young guys handle taxes, et cetera? I would hate to see one of these guys go through an audit. And that's, that's one of the question. many great unknowns, Jarrett. That's that one of the a- many great unknowns. And honestly, schools so. are still scrambling to have to, to get all this in place. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. the thing. That's where the NCAA showed no 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 guidance, no, no leadership at all. What they should have done is they should have had representatives and lawyers going to the state and say, hey, look, we're going to do this. Here's the things that we can show you in good faith that we're working towards this. But here's the dangers. Here's what we're worried about. We're not going to fight. And here's what the, the NCAA tried to fight them on whether or not it should happen, which was stupid. It was going to happen. Right. Yes, exactly. Right. And there were so many things that the Supreme Court has done in recent years that should have made any half any lawyer with half a brain realize, like, hey, this is going in this direction. We're, this is gonna win. we're not going to win this one. So what do we do to stay ahead of it? And that's where the NCAA continues to just be a bunch of idiots on this. But if they'd have gone to these state legislators and say, listen, this is going to happen. We're going to do this. But here's our concerns. Here's, our, here's the dangers. Here's where this could really be taken advantage of these kids. 
we need to extend this six months. You know, give us until, you know, January 1 of 2022 to really sit down and figure this out. How can all, each of these institutions, to your point, how do we handle this? Mm-hmm. How do we give these kids guidance? I had no idea. I would have not known that I needed to file a tax return when I was 18 years old. You know what I mean? Like, hey, not look at the money clue. I got, right? I mean, you know, my first job, I was getting cash under the table. You Me know too. what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, it's just like, ah, oh, you know, let's go spend it, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and so that's the concern. Is the, And these kids are going to just get this money. You know, it's like, okay, if you're getting it, it like to Jared's question, if you have a CPA or if, if you have someone that's guiding, say, listen, you need to make sure that you understand, are you just getting this money? Are they taking taxes out? Are they taking sure. FICA out? Are they taking this out? Are they taking that out? You know, do, do you have the forms for that? Or are they just giving you the straight, like, so like Vince, when, you know, when I give you money, I just pay you what you earned and then it's up to you. And yeah. that's how it, you know, to, to, to do all that stuff. Right. Yep. Well, yep. other time, other you. companies you work for, it's like, okay, we're going to take those things. We're going to do the withholdings for you. And I don't know what's going on with these kids and how that's going. I don't know how yeah. advertising revenue is the same as a salary. And, and a lot of these kids are going to be like, wait a minute, what? I have to file a tax return. Right. Like, I, you know, and it's I just something they shouldn't like, be having to deal with. I almost feel that's like the they, they, they should have, you know, the at least access to a money manager, right. you know, so like a financial advisor. Right. As well that, as that the NCAA and the schools should be providing. Hey, look, if yes. you want to do business with a student athlete at Notre Dame. Yes. You know, you need to go through us. Now, the da- the danger for that is a lot of these schools are going to try to micromanage things. It's No, your job is not to determine what they are or are not going to do. That's between them and their families and their representatives. Mm-hmm. You are simply saying that you're going to facilitate to make sure that, hey, look, we're going to we're going to set up your accounts. We're going to make sure that their companies are doing right. this. We're going to make sure that you're doing this, and, you know, and, and, you know, because a lot of these kids to Jared's question some of these kids are going to come from backgrounds where their families are going to be able to take care of. So they're going to know they're going to have the financial resources. And they have those there's things a lot of kids. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of kids. And this would have been my situation is my family wouldn't have had the knowledge or the income to be able to hire those type of things. Correct. You know? Uh, and, and so I, I would, you know, who knows what would have happened. And so that's the situation is, is, is where, again, just another example of how the NCA has shown no leadership, uh, the, the the media has shown no leadership in this. It's just a bunch of people trying to be uh, liked. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to be shown as supporting players. Well, that's not showing. That's not support. That's you know that's just being like the you know the I mean like, right. I mean, you know what I mean? there's there's no there's it's no dis, there's no leadership there. There's no encouragement yeah. there. There's no support there. You're just handing kids money without any concept of what that's going to do for them. You know, and I mean it's just it's so it's maddening. So maddening. Let's see. Jared Berger says, "Do you what do you think the issue is with Lance Taylor?" And I'm assuming he's referring to the recruiting, recruiting side. Of he's that. a very good coach. Yeah. You know, I just think Coach Taylor has to grind a little bit more, and Coach Taylor has to do a better job of building relationships with players to know what exactly it's going to mm-hmm. take to close the deal. That's because so you have to know what. Okay, I know when he goes home after this visit, I know what he's going to be facing, and I'm going to be ahead of it. Uh, I know that this kid has a great relationship with the position coach of the school we're trying to beat for him. The last thing I'm going to do is denigrate or or, or talk bad about that guy. It's going sure. to have the opposite effect. Of what I think it's going to have. You got to you got to be built. You got to really have those relationships, and you got to grind. And you also have to be able to read the room. You know, you have to know like like they genuinely thought they're going to get Will Shipley, and the whole time I'm like, mm, I'm not as sold on that as you are. And and then they they were wrong. And they right. put all their eggs in that basket. Well, if you're going to put all the eggs in that basket, that you better darn sure making yeah. sure you're doing everything possible to win that battle. 
And and so I, I just – and look, he's doing a good job of recruiting. He's not doing a bad job of recruiting, but is he doing a good enough job? And that's the thing that mm-hmm. people have to understand is it's okay. if a guy's doing a good job and that's the best he can do, then that's good. Or the school, it may be the best the school can do. Hey, because of just geography or whatever the case may be, this is just a position you're never going to have as many elite players as a school where you know there's five stud running backs within a 100-mile radius of their campus every year. Right, that's just a genuine part of it. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to do that, then you have to say, okay. But we need to make sure we're maximizing the our potential as a recruiting staff. Notre Dame is doing a good job. Are, can can anyone tell me that they're maximizing their potential as a running back recruiting operation in the last couple of years? No, you can't tell me that. At least if you did, I don't. I wouldn't necessarily believe that you were being honest and objective. Or if you were, I'd be. I'd strongly disagree with you. And to me, that's the issue. And but I don't think he's far off. I mean, it's it's again, you got Jadarian Price, Audric Estime, and Logan Diggs in a two-year span. There's a lot of teams that would like to struggle with that yeah. with running back group, yeah, right? Absolutely. I mean, let, that's what I'm saying. We have to be able to look at this in a way where we're not going to two extremes in opposite directions. We need to be able to say, look, it's not good enough. It's not as good as it should be, but it ain't terrible. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. could Notre Dame win a championship in two, three years with those three guys as your running backs? Heck yeah. Mm-hmm. But it'd be even easier if you also had Nicholas Singleton or Will sure. Shipley or, right? That's that's where I'm coming from. Domer since birth. Great name, by the way. Gents, with the new transfer rule, do you feel any better or different than a guy that is committed two cycles out than you do about a sophomore buried deep in the depth chart, develop versus potential Happy fourth. Hmm. I don't know that those two things are necessarily linked because you're talking about a guy that's two cycles out. So if you're comparing somebody that's two cycles out and a sophomore, they're not even going to be on the same team. Right. right. You, you'd be more the, right? the way that you look as, as a, 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 a high school senior, you're recruiting to replace a college junior. Yeah. So – Currently, a high school sophomore is not being considered about a um, a high a college sophomore. Yeah, but those to, two, but that's yeah. a nitpick. I mean, let, okay, then let's look at a freshman or something. I mean, to his point, you know, I think your I think your development your development always has to be the primary thing. You always try to develop the kid that's already on your roster because sure. you have two years left with that kid before that other kid's going to even be on part of the pro- program. You have to focus, on, and that's my big fear about. Notre Dame and in recruiting transfers is you can get lazy with it. Mm -hmm. You can say, well, we're just going to go get this kid from Marshall. We're going to go get this kid over here and from Northwestern every year. And and we're just going to plug those guys in and they're already developed in this quarterback from Wisconsin. And we're going to just, you know, the the, the kid that we were developing, he's just going to go to the back end. Well, then now you get in stuck into the cycle where you kind of have to repeat that process every year because you didn't develop the other kids. And now you better hope there's another guard in the transfer portal next year. You better hope there's a quarterback in the transfer portal next year, theoretically, if you don't handle it right. Now, sometimes it that doesn't mean every situation is that way. I liked them bringing in Jack Cohn. I liked them bringing in Jack Cohn a whole lot more than I liked them bringing in Kane Madden, for example. I liked the notion of bringing in Ben Skoranek. I didn't like the way that they use Ben Skoranek. So every situation is different, but you, the development of your current roster has to always be the key. And if you're if you're relying on the transfer portal, either getting players or losing players, then I think you are not. That's not how you win championships. You you've seen kids. You've seen those teams get transfers, right? Ohio State got a transfer. Alabama's gotten transfers, but they never build the the, the transfers are never at the the positions where 
They're the, I mean, Clemson, Oklahoma's gotten great transfers, but how many playoff games has Oklahoma won? Zero. And the transfers they have had, like Kyler Murray was not a fifth year senior. Kyler Murray was in the program for multiple years. That's a difference. So, I mean, transfers can be good, but at the end of the day, your transfers have to be surrounded by great development everywhere else. Yep. And that's what you need to make sure that you, I'm not saying Notre Dame is or isn't doing that. I'm saying that can be the risk of getting too into the transfer portal. Ashley back in again says, uh, did Tony Alfred leave because he was overlooked for the offensive coordinator job? Would Kelly not give him a shot like he gave Reese? That was part of it. That was part of it. I just think it was time for him to – I think it was also partly because he had been passed over for head coaching jobs that he wanted. And being an assistant at Notre Dame under Brian Kelly wasn't moving that needle. Wasn't giving him the resume boost and, and that I, he was I hoping I think there for. was a, a hope that working for Urban Meyer might help with that. Now, he's still been passed over, which is unfortunate because I think Tony Alford's a, a really good coach and a really good person. What is his title uh, right now besides running backs coach? Uh, does, he, does he have like one of those extended like – Yeah, I'm sure. Associate head coach, whatever. Yeah, I'm uh, sure. And while you're looking at that, David Knight says uh, – Ashley Hill, that's a great question. I also think the money was not right in South Bend. Uh, no, that that wouldn't have been a reason for Tony. Tony loved it in South Bend. Okay, loved it in South Bend. Uh, it, it was other things, but he is the assistant head coach for okay. offense. Okay, as well. Gotcha. Let's see here. Frank Sierra says, "How many commits will Notre Dame get this weekend?" He's nailing you down here. He wants uh, numbers, Brian. Frank, you know, man, you 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 know, I'm not going <laughs> to ask that question. <laughs> oh, let's see here. Um, Orange Glove Guy says, Are opposing schools negative recruiting Coach Quinn? Yeah, schools are going to negative recruit whoever. I mean, they're negative recruiting against Harry Heastan, yeah, whether or not it works. Absolutely. Or not. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's working a little bit more yeah. now because he doesn't have that reputation. Right. Uh, Mike Padone says, Brian, was Anderson one of the four silent commits you talked about? Great job, guys. No, he was not one of the silent commitments that I talked about last month like back in may okay he was not one of those guys he was a guy that was a silent commit i took him as a silent commit after coming out of his after visit his visit yeah <laughs> omar says apparently coach quinn is negative recruiting himself <laughs> that's just a great question the dude man <laughs> i'm sorry but that's, that's just a good funny one. and and dc agrees with us he says i literally <laughs> laughed out loud <laughs> i thought that was great Oh, fantastic. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. Uh, AJ, um, AJ says the importance of diversity that Brian talks about in receiver recruiting and the lack thereof in this year's class is definitely puzzling. Uh, he says, I went back to OSU, Bama, Georgia, Clemson's 21 classes just to look at their receivers, and each of them signed at least two big body receivers and two smaller slash slot type guys. Yes, they do. They have more diversity. I would, I would say though, it's not about size. However, I mean, if you look at Bama's recruiting classes, they've signed bigger receivers. None of them played last year. None of them Mm -hmm. played in 2019. They were all six, one or shorter. And none of them were pushing 200 over 200 pounds. I mean, Chase Claypool in 2019 was bigger than anyone Alabama had playing tight end or receiver last year. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's not about body type. It's about skill set. And even if you look at the receivers that Alabama had this past year, yeah, John Mechie, who's like, what, six foot, about a buck 95, 
You had Devontae Smith, who's listed at 6'1", like 165, 170. Jalen Waddle's like 5'10", 5'11". Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith do different things. Jalen Waddle is an explosive vertical player that's a catch a cross, catch a slant, catch a bubble screen, and turn it into a home run. Devontae Smith can do some of those things, but he's more of a precision route runner, just a high IQ football player that you're going to win one-on-ones with. And then John Mechie's kind of like a running back playing receiver, you know, big, strong, physical kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, did you watch, Did you see the – he's a kid that Notre Dame was trying to recruit as a as a, um, as a, uh, a safety. And, and I actually liked him better as a DB than I did as a receiver coming out of high school. And then he had that play in the SEC title game where Mac Jones threw a pick and the guy was running and John Mechie laid him out and forced a fumble. Bama got the ball. I mean, laid him out. Devontae Smith's not doing that. He was the best receiver in college football last year. He's not doing that. So even though there weren't different body types per se, you had different skills. And that's why I said like T. Higgins and Justin Ross were similar body types, but they had different skills. Terrace Marshall and Justin Jefferson had similar body types. They had completely different skills. And and that's the thing. And, and, and again, it's like, well, you know, this guy's a little faster than that guy. It's, I'm not talking about this guy is – a fast vertical player, and this guy is a slower vertical player. They're both vertical players. You know, that's the that's the difference. And I actually felt Nicholas Anderson was one of the bigger guys that actually brought a little of a different skill set to the table because he's such a good route runner. You know, so but um, yeah, it's 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 problematic for sure. Okay, let's see here. Bert says, Welcome back, Vince. Why do you think there's such a large disparity between the season outlooks from different outlets? I've seen from the Phil Steele undefeated in your article to three to four losses. I, I'm going to take a stab at this, Brian. I think there are a couple different reasons. Uh, one, uh, I'm going to be uh, Mr. Negative, and I'm going to say clickbait. I'm going to say that you know when you've got a headline, Notre Dame loses four or something. Yeah, but these are about are gonna... preseason magazines, though. Okay, That's his question. So it's okay. a little different because so, they're yeah. I still think to sell magazines is part of it too. I, I still think that 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 there is a bit to that. Now, the other part, which is probably more towards these magazine guys, is that I don't think that they're doing the research on the depth and the reloading ability of Notre Dame that they should be doing. Yeah. They see that hey, four offensive linemen are now in the NFL. Quarterback, they see the quarterback right. is gone. He's in the NFL now. You know the the top receivers are now in the NFL, right? So they're seeing all these departures, but they're not knowledgeable enough in what is going to replace them to have any faith that Notre Dame is going to be able to be good and score points, right? And then same thing defensively. Look, Notre Dame lost big names defensively as well. They lost the Buckus Award winner, for goodness sakes. Mm -hmm. So they're looking at – And two drafted defensive ends. Right. right. They're they're looking at the pieces that are gone as opposed to the pieces that are going to take over. And they're saying, well, there's no way they can be good if they've lost this much talent. I think it's perception. Yeah. And and I think Phil Steele has a different perception of Notre Dame than Lindy's and Athlon. And and I think Vince made a lot of good points. And and, and the way I look at it is if Notre Dame had sort of a three good year run and it was mostly the same players that were responsible for that run, I would be sympathetic to them saying, yeah, we think they're going to take a step back. That hasn't been the case at Notre Dame. You, you've seen them lose a lot of good players over the, the last four years. I mean, they lost Quentin Nelson, Mike McGlinchey, Equinemy St. Brown, Niles Morgan, Greer Martini. I mean, we can go through all the 2017 kids they lost. 
and technically lost Sean Crawford because Sean Crawford got hurt in fall camp that next year. And despite Josh Adams, they lost Josh Adams. Despite all those losses, they went out the next year and went from 10 and three to 12 and one. You know, after 2018, you know, after 2019, they lose Chase Claypool, they lose uh, Cole Komet, they lose uh, Julian Aguar, they lose Khalid Kareem, they lose Troy Pride, they lose Alohi Gilman, they lose Jalen Elliott. Had a lot of law, Osmar Bilal, who had 10 plus tackles for loss. You lose all those guys, and you went from 11 and 2 to, you know, or 10 and 2 in the regular season to, yeah. you know, 10 and 0, undefeated in the regular season. And so I think Notre Dame has done it where they've had to reload. And so I'm less sympathetic to their lack of perception because Notre Dame has shown that they can reload and Notre Dame's recruiting has, has been good enough the last few years right. that it's actually been better than what it was when they were building the first sets of reloads. So I think it's, it's, it's a lack of perception. They're still treating Notre Dame like this is 2011, you know, where Notre Dame was a program that just, you know, every now and then they'd have a good year, but then they always took a step back. That, mm-hmm. That's not Brian Kelly's program is not there anymore. And honestly, there's some still some Notre Dame fans who are expecting a, a significant drop drop sure. off. Oh, there not, are not a lot, but there are some. No, but I think the other part is Phil Steele has been higher on Notre Dame in recent seasons than the other magazines. I mean, Phil Steele predicted Notre Dame to be the number one big surprise in 2018 because he was looking at it. Hey, they're losing all these players, but they they got and he does real. I mean, he goes, he's on, he's talking to every program, every coach. He does. I mean, his his magazine to me can be unreadable at times, <laughs> and it's just so hard to read. And it's like, especially I get older, I'm like. You know, and like half the time he's writing about stuff that happened two years ago and he's not talking about the current team. And it's just like I don't enjoy the magazine from that standpoint, but I love the analysis from the standpoint of, you know, he's putting more thought into it, you know, mm-hmm. and he's not just jumping onto the, oh, Notre Dame lost in the playoff game. So we're going to ding him for that when you know, nobody else has beaten Clemson or Alabama either. You know, now that's not an excuse the way that Brian Kelly used it because you're Notre Dame. You should be that way, but it's more of a you know, hey, you shouldn't be dropping them to 15th in the rankings or right. like that one clown uh, at ESPN who has Notre Dame going seven and five. Right. You know, I mean, that's just nonsense. Right. And and so but I think Phil Steele has his perception of Notre Dame has been very different in that he has always seen Notre Dame as a better program uh, than than what other people do. I'm going to bring up this this chat for you to read from Corey Devens. Yeah, man. Another super chat. Thanks, Corey. He says, any chance Kelly wittingly sabotages Freeman's chances of becoming Notre Dame's next coach by staying here until 24 or beyond? I could see this happening. I think if Brian Kelly stayed to finish out his contract, it's because he wanted to stay. I don't think he has any interest in sabotaging Marcus Freeman's tenure. I I don't think he would have brought Marcus Freeman in if he was threatened by Marcus Freeman taking his job. Yeah. You know, I, I think he sees Marcus Freeman as someone who can help him win, but I also think he understands that Marcus Freeman could be someone that could be that next in line guy. I, I don't, I'd be shocked if Brian Kelly didn't think that. I, I don't think Brian Kelly would have gone as hard after Marcus Freeman if he didn't see potential beyond just being a really good defensive coordinator. Yeah. I, I, I would be surprised. Brian Kelly's a pretty sharp guy, and, and um, Brian so, Kelly doesn't want this thing to completely fall apart after he right. leaves. Now, there, I, I will say that there is a coaching mentality that you know, you think that you do everything right and that you you wouldn't mind seeing the program take a little bit of a step back when you go away because mm-hmm. that means that they you know you were doing something right, right? Does that make sense? Am I am I I think that's only that true right? if you leave a place on bad terms. Okay. I think when you leave a place healthy and you've been at a place long enough, if you have a genuine love for those kids and the and, and all sure. that, you know, you, you want them to be successful. And I would hope that Brian Kelly would, would because hope. again, I also think that's part of his legacy. One of the things that Lou Holtz gets dinged for, and rightfully so, was he left the program 
in not quite as bad a shape as it was when he got it, but it was still in pretty bad shape. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have a succession plan because he would not have picked Bob Davey to be his successor. No. And so he was not, he had not, the program wasn't healthy enough for for Lou Holtz to be able to dictate who was going to be next. And there were some other problems. I mean, the, the administration at the time was pretty terrible and, you know, the, and so it wasn't all his fault. But I, I do think Brian Kelly understands that the legacy after the fact is going to impact how sure. I'm viewed. So if, if he leaves without a championship and Marcus Freeman wins one in his first or second year, a lot of people are rightly going to give Brian Kelly some credit for that. Absolutely. And so I, I do think he understands that. I, I do. All right. Back up to the top. Uh, Ron says, Vince, I need your dream car. Got to get something on that wall behind you. I uh, forgot to send him that email. It's I coming. It's coming. Yeah. I promise. And thank you. Ron. Vince did tell me, Ron. He did. I just forgot. It's all good, man. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, Jay says uh, Blake Barnett won the Elite 11 event, and look what happened to him. Right. Garbage. Because you can't measure what's right. up here at an Elite right. 11 event. Right. And we, we were talking about Elite 11 and some of the guys that were there earlier. So uh, uh, DC wants to know who starts at slot this season. Avery Davis. Avery Davis. For sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Joseph says, uh, thanks for the show, Vince and Brian. Hope we can rebound on offensive recruiting. Example, if we miss Singleton, we pick up with Payne. And that's a good point, but like that's only if Payne breaks out. I don't think Notre Dame needs, and I said this when it looked like they were going to get Nicholas Singleton, so I can't change my mind now to fit a narrative. Nicholas Singleton was a want. The fact that they missed him is problematic because it shows that he can't close on that right. kind of player. Right. But I even said at the time, they don't need Nicholas Singleton. They wanted Nicholas Singleton. They have a very good back in the class. They don't need a second back. The only way that I would take Jabron Payne is if Jabron Payne comes out as a senior and proves to be healthy and better than he was before. But they don't need us. I would rather use that scholarship for an extra DB, for an extra offensive lineman, uh, you know, for a some or put it to 2023 than to take right. a guy that's not on that level of a Nicholas mm-hmm. Singleton kind of player. Uh, Chris Forston, and I think the ND4L would be like ND for life, I'm gonna go oh. with, but it's Chris Forston, uh, Fortson, excuse me. Uh, he says, Who are you most looking forward to watching this year? I can't wait to see what Jack Kaiser can do. First time poster. Listen to the podcast. Thanks for all you both do. Best ND site. Welcome to the, uh, you're now officially a part of the IB community because you've now been a part of the show. Uh, He got my defensive one. Although I've said, 
I say Jack Kaiser was my first gut response, but then I'm like, but I also really want to see Jason Adam Yole. And man, I can't wait to see his Isaiah Foskey. And man, I hope Cam Hart meets. So it's hard for, you know, but my first gut reaction is always Jack Kaiser. Yes. Agreed. That's on defense. My first and, at, and my, you know, I've, I've, and I've said this before defensively, my, my, my guy's Cam Hart. So of course mm-hmm. I want to see what he can do. Um, and I, I want to see Kyle Hamilton take it to the next level. Yeah. We, I, you know, we never talk about him because yeah. we've seen what he can do. Right. Um, but, but I mean, I mean with him, even if he's just as good as he was last year, he's still an All-American. Yeah, you know absolutely. what I mean? O- offensively, for me, it's Lawrence Keys. Fair it's enough. Keys. I, and I, mine's Blake Fisher. I think I said him before, but I want to see Avery Davis take it to another level as well. Um, so he so he would be my my next one um, offensively, too. Vin- Vince, where are you right now, by the way? 148. Okay. I'm I got booted when I got kicked out of the room. I'm I'm down at 214. So oh okay. Yeah. Oh, got a ways to go. All so right. You're, uh, you're on your own. Okay, no problem. Uh DC says, Do you think Tim Brown would be interested in coaching the wide receivers? I know he's never coached, but the name alone would be better for recruiting. And that I would we, I would we, imagine Tim Brown would have to take a pay cut to come back <laughs> co- coach coach. Well, what's he doing now? I mean, he just he does speaking and okay. he, you know, all that type of stuff. I mean gotcha. And I yeah. I, I would say, D.C., um, would it be better for recruiting? Again, we talked about this earlier. Kids that are getting recruited now, most of them have I'm no in my idea 40s, who Tim Brown are. Right? I'm in my 40s. Tim, Brown, Tim Brown left Notre Dame when I was nine. Yeah, right. Like, And he left the NFL quite a while ago. I sure. mean, look, there's a lot of good – I mean, Ohio State is a former Ohio State receiver coaching the receivers, but it's Brian Hartline. It's not like they brought back like Terry Glenn or, you know what I mean? Sure. Right. It's Brian Hartline, it, but he does a great job recruiting. He does a great job building relationships. He does a great job selling the program and he works his butt off. That's why Brian Hartline is successful. Sure. Not because he was a former Ohio State player, or played in the NFL or anything like that. It's because he puts in the work, you know? And I mean, look what happened with Archie Denson. Archie Denson, former great Notre Dame player, all time leading rusher, right? Terrible recruiter. Not a, I mean, average coach. I mean, it doesn't, it's not that hard to coach running backs. That I, I get where everybody's coming from, but that's not. There's a lot right. of good coaches out there that can get the job done, including Coach Alexander, if he can if he can make some corrections and get back on track. Okay, Thomas uh, Thomas Walsh says, if healthy, do you think Lindsey, if used properly, deep shots, reverses, et cetera, opens it up for all the other receivers? Absolutely, no question about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's why he's if there. You have a guy that can take the top off of the defense legitimately. It absolutely opens things up, mm-hmm. uh, and it makes it a lot harder to guard. For example, Michael Mayer, because your safeties have to worry about Braden Lindsey. Uh, Thomas says uh, Wimbush's NIL company is going to kill it. Read he had like seven hundred athletes waitlisted to get with him once the NIL ruling came. Foskey is with him. We, we talked to uh, to Brandon uh, on our radio show last year before one of the Notre Dame games, and he kind of outlined what his company and his business were, were going to do. And this was obviously way before NIL was was going to officially happen. And I was intrigued by his company then. And now that everything is official, like their whole point is they're going to take it from the players' side of things and make sure the players are protected and helping them and that that's yeah. kind of where the whole the that's CBA what i wish and, every kid was doing either through the school or through something like this yes. not just hey hit me up in my dms right I've seen all these kids hey just hit me up in my dms if you're interested like no no um but it, it, anyone who's ever met brandon wimbush he is one of the most personable likable honest oh. kids you're ever gonna meet no doubt to your point he's gonna crush it yes. in in that regard and good for and him he's also really smart 
Yes. You know what I mean? Really smart. You can tell with his business plan that he yeah. can see the future of this thing. Yes. And you're right. He's very personable and he's going to crush it. And yeah. good for him. I, I, that's yeah. what I say. I say good for him on that. That That is awesome. Um, Jacob Staley says, I don't think you discredit the Elite 11 based on Blake Barnett. Uh, kind of cherry picking there, don't you think? I mean, didn't Justin Fields win it? To me, it's just another indicator to add to film. And that See, last part, I think, is important. It's an indicator. Somewhat, somewhat. But again, I I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I, look, because you're kind of making my point. Some guys do great there and, and go to college and do great. Some guys do great there, go to college, and don't play well. It's not because of what you do at the Elite 11. It's because of what your skill set is. And, and the point is you can't measure up here what makes a player great. Why did Justin Fields succeed and Blake Bardet didn't? Justin Fields had it up here. Blake Barnett did not. Justin Fields had it here, and Blake Barnett did not. You can't measure any of that at an Elite 11, huh? I said I hope he still has it there. Yeah, I think he does. Look, I said this. Look, I, <laughs> I in my mock draft that I did before the draft, I had the Bears trading up to six to get Justin Fields. Like, I thought that was a great pairing. It's like, you trade up to six, you're going to get them. And they just – they didn't have to trade up that far to get them. Yeah. I mean, you know, geez, Louise. So I, I think it was a great pickup, but – my point is, Jacob, is you can't evaluate those things from a camp, you know. And and if you didn't think – if you thought a kid wasn't good before Elite 11 and he has a great – then you shouldn't think he's great because of what he does in Elite 11 and vice versa. You know, if you think a kid is great and he doesn't play well at the Elite 11, it shouldn't change your opinion. It should maybe be to see things that you didn't see before. Like based on his high school film, I can't see this. I don't see that because of his high school film because of the offense they run or whatever the case may be. It's it's a small tool to you know to what you do, but it can't trump film because last I checked, these kids aren't getting pass rushed in Elite Eleven. Right. There's no exactly. defense, no, to, not. you know, and, and all those kind of things. So it's 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 yeah. It, 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 look, and we see this in the NFL all the time. We see all these combine mistakes in the NFL, and it's like the that that because they allow those things to trump what happens on film. You see it all the time. Well, you didn't have great film, but. Mm-hmm. And that kid, how many times do those kids pan out? It's not often. It's not often. Okay. Uh, DJ says uh, 161 watching, only 23 likes. Come on, IB fans, hit that like button. Obviously, yeah. that was a while back, and so I don't know where we're at now, but that was an hour and a half ago. So, yeah. Uh, but thanks for everybody that's hitting that like button. We appreciate yep. it. I tried to pull and it those, up. On my those phone, things do like take button. a while to register, too, by the way. I, yeah. I do. I do. I mean, there was one time where somebody said, like, We only have 50 likes, and it's like, as soon as I hung up the show, Stop the show and, and went over to look at it. It was like up to 200. So they do take go. a little bit to go. And we appreciate all of it from all of you. Hit the like, subscribe, notification bell. All that fun stuff. All that good stuff. Matt says, we'll just have to let it play out with NIL. <laughs> That's well done. Well done. That's I think my you, guy. You, you need man. to get shirts that say that. Just let it play out. I, I was thinking about that. I mean, because <laughs> like it's now come like our thing. You know, so like gap <laughs> closers, let it play out shirts and, you know, that's the one I think I could give to Brian Kelly. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> Michael Morris says, what do you think? Great offense and good defense. Uh, great defense and good offense. I would want the great D. I, I, I'd be willing to bet you that, Michael, you're closer to my age or older. I'm going to guess, right? Because um, a lot of us that are older – myself included, it takes a while to recognize that the game has changed. And there for all of most of our lives, what was the expression that we used? 
Defense wins championships. championships. That's not true in college football right now. It's just not. You have to be able to score at a high level. I mean, when was the last time a team that played great defense won a title? It's been – you'd have to go all the way – Back to you're going back to the Alabama well, days, 2017 right? and 27, 2017. Bama didn't have a great offense, they had a really, really good defense, but they also that was kind of a down year. Clemson was down that year, Ohio State was down that year. It, it was a just a down year, which is why it was still a missed opportunity. Then before that, you got to go to Alabama back in what 2012, right? I mean, but but even even Bama had a great defense in 2015 and they gave up 40 points in the title game to Clemson, they had to score to win. Mm-hmm. You know, the next year, Bam and Clemson in 2016, I'm, I'm going to pull it up right now, but I believe they both were considered top-ranked defenses going into that season. But you look at the the, 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 the college football playoff game. <laughs> they were both scored over 30 points. The winner scored over 30. Yeah, so Alabama in 2016 had the number one-ranked defense in the country. They gave up 13 points a game. Clemson gave up 18. 2015, Alabama – had the number three scoring defense in the country. This is after the college football playoff. They would have been number two, uh, and Clemson was down at 24, right? Well, why did Clemson beat Alabama? Why did Alabama beat Clemson in 2015? Because they scored more, scored 45 points. In 2016, mm-hmm. when Alabama had the number one defense in the country, they gave up 13 points per game. They lost to Clemson in the title game because Clemson had a better offense. And Clemson could score. That was not a great Clemson defense in 2016. They were better on defense in 2015, in my opinion. But the reason that they won is because they had an elite offense. The same thing with LSU. LSU's one of LSU's worst defenses of the previous five seasons. Now, not in 2020 because their defense past year was a hot garbage. But if you look at the Dave Aranda defenses at LSU, the 2019 defense was his worst statistically. But they still won a title in convincing fashion because they could score on anybody. The game has just changed. You have to have an elite offense. You have to have a, a really, really good offense. Now, to your point, I do think if you can have an elite defense, a great defense, and a, a really good offense that schematically maximizes your potential, you can still win a title. I don't think you have to score 49 points a game to win a title. I think recent teams have done it, and that's just because how it's worked out. But I think Notre Dame can still win being a 38 to 42 point per game team as opposed to 48 49, which the last couple title teams have been, because I think Notre Dame can be better on defense. And I think the other thing that Notre Dame has going for it defensively is when Notre Dame's great on defense, it's because they're great in the front seven. And that can kind of help neutralize some of the skill advantages that happen, which is, is kind of what I thought happened, you know, back in the 80s and 90s when Notre Dame was beating Miami and Florida State, is because those teams had better athletes. You know, one to twelve the Notre Dame, but Notre Dame had enough good athletes, one to five, where when they were able to dominate the trenches, that was the difference in those games. That's just my opinion. Tommy Lawson has a comment here. He says uh, one reason I like college more than the, more than the NFL is the players play harder to get to the money. I hope NIL doesn't ruin that. Well, I think players also played hard because there was a greater love for the game. You were playing it because you loved it, right? And now you're going to see more and more kids playing to get the money and and mm-hmm. yeah it's it's a slippery but slope. i also don't think you shouldn't not pay them the nil because of that that's not a justification for legally not doing it or or even ethically not doing it jojo says great uh great show guys thank you uh for making me feel optimistic despite the offensive recruiting we still have a ways to go but the miss between last year and this year is frustrating welcome back vince thanks jojo it's good to be back I just have that like uh, "Welcome Back" Cotter theme song in my head right now. Every welcome time, welcome back. Yeah, 
Yeah, I got you. Uh, <laughs> uh, Anthony Stoffer, happy Friday, fellas. Worried we miss on Williams and Tobias. If so, who do you see we go after? Have a great weekend and holiday. There's no good answer there. Yeah. Well, and you, earlier you said it's better just to hold on to that scholarship yeah. for other things. But if they miss on both of those guys, and I don't think they will. I don't yeah. think they're going to miss on both of them. I think they'll get one of them for sure. I think they mm-hmm. got a shot with two. But if they miss on both of them, there's no good answer to who they go after next. Mm-hmm. Matty K, 55. I love our strength program and Matt Bayless. Uh, that guy has so much energy and love the program he's put together for our players. Your guys' thoughts on Bayless and how our strength program has changed. You know how the strength program has changed? Notre Dame and Matt Bayless's first year lost two games in November. Right, first year building it. Notre Dame has not lost a game in November since then. That three pretty years. much says it all, right there. Yeah, and that three years. that was a when we were covering the team four, five, six years ago. That was the issue was they would kind of start strong and then peter out mm-hmm. at the end of the year, and that's all strength and conditioning. And you know, I've made comments that Notre Dame hasn't beaten a lot of ranked teams in recent seasons. So in 2018, 19, and twenty, Notre Dame has one, two, three. Uh, four, five, six, only six regular season wins over teams that finish the season ranked, right? Five of those wins have come in November. And this that was the month Notre Dame was struggling. I mean, Notre Dame would start well and fade under Kelly, right? And we saw that in his first year. I think that's the biggest indicator. But we're also seeing it at the Combine. And how many years in a row now have we seen – well, obviously this year the Combine wasn't there, but – it's like three years in a row. Like people are shocked by the numbers. That oh, I can't believe Drew Tranquil ran that fast. I that kind of where did Miles Boykin guy come from? We, there's no way we thought Chase Claypool will be that fast. And it's because Matt. I mean, a big part of that is Matt Bayless and the strength program, or a big part of that. Jason Rose says, uh, which coach on both sides of the ball has been the best at recruiting and developing talent? Uh, I mean, I think Mike, I think, I think this is kind of a cheating question because there aren't a whole lot of coaches on the staff that have been around a long, long enough to even be able to give that opinion. I mean, John McNulty has been here a year. Lance Sanders has been here two years. Jeff Quinn's been here now, what, three years. Um, I mean, Mike Elson's easy answer on defense because I mean, literally doing it. He's the only coach who's been here more than two. I mean, Mike, Mike Mickens even started his second season yet. And O'Leary and and Freeman are going into the first. So uh, Mike Elson's easy answer there. And, and um, offensively, I, I, next question. <laughs> Great answer. Uh, let's see. S, just like share. S Ooh. says, Coach, if you had a son who is a highly rated recruit, at what positions <sighs> would you be apprehensive about sending him to play at Notre Dame? Wow. Are you guys just trying to get me? Are you just trying to create down boats for me by answering this question? Uh I, I would have a I would have a concern of him playing any position on offense. I'd any any I would I would only have three concerns: quarterback, wide receiver, and offensive line. Yeah, I would agree That's with it. all of those. I, I would probably have some concerns at safety simply because I just don't know Chris O'Leary well enough. That would, uh, but you know, from from what I've heard about him, I, you know, I think he's going to prove himself to be quite good. Revolver six two three eight. Oh, and special teams. <laughs> okay. Uh, are we really telling top prospects on the offensive side of the ball who want to marry us? No. That's sweet, but go out and date other girls first. 
No, they're not forcing kids to take other visits. They're 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 not can they're not forcing kids to cancel. That's the difference. And and that's a good strategy because I would much rather lose Nicholas Anderson now than get him to commit. He regrets it. Oregon convince yeah. him to visit, and then he decommits down the road. Now you don't have a, a plan B to go to because you've had a committed kid in your class for three months. I would. I mean, look, if Nicholas Singleton was able to lose his love – not love, I don't mean that in a negative way, but if Nicholas Singleton was a, that able to be swayed after a week, you think that would have changed if he, got, if he committed? I mean – Penn State would have had the next how many months, six months to convince that kid to stay close to home. It would have right. worked anyway. Right. So, yeah, I, I mean, I get where people are coming from. But, yeah, I would rather a, a, a woman go date other men and then come back to me than marry me and then leave me, take half my stuff, and then go marry some other dude because, you know, she didn't get experienced life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and, and the parallel to this is, yeah, you invest all that time in a kid, he commits to you, you stop recruiting all the other kids at that position that he's going to come to. And then in four months he decommits from you. That's worse yeah. than what we're seeing now. So yeah, that now not every kid is that way because these are kids that want to take visits and Notre Dame is not convincing them to stop taking visits. And I have no problem with that at all. And I, I understand the apprehension revolver. So I'm, this isn't coming down on you, but it's like, look, the alternative isn't that or they commit now and everything's rosy. That's right. not the alternative. The alternative are, is they commit. Right. They, can, they commit now and those other – oh, well, that stinks. Well, good luck. You know, they're going to still recruit these kids and they're going to still try to get these kids on campus. And and that's when you get – I mean, once a kid starts thinking about that, it's it's so hard to keep them in the class. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather lose a kid now after two weeks of maybe he could silently committed – then lose them in four months when I don't have a plan B board to go to. Colin C, over under four commitments in July for 22 and 23. So is that individually four for 22, four for 23? I think he like means total. Okay. total. And he's, I, if he's predicting eight, then I'm definitely taking the under. I don't think that's what – I think he was okay. asking total. So I'm going to say just July. Okay, no, okay. I'm going to say over. Oh. I hope you're right. That's all I'll say. I hope you're right. But I also Robert. said five June June commitments, and even though they got they they didn't get five public June commitments. True. But so I, if we're going to go public commitments, I am going to go over five. Okay. Okay. Still over five. Robert Wright says, "Do you think Notre Dame brings home a national championship within the next five years?" I think they can. They can. They have the ability. I, I don't to. know if they will. Yeah, I think they it's, can. It's just that's hard to predict. But yeah, as currently constructed, it's going to be harder. I think yeah. there's a there's still a change or two that Coach Kelly needs to make that I think would enter. But I'll say this, Robert: they're as close as they've been since 1993, right now. And and Brian Kelly deserves a ton of credit for that. Sure. Now it's about is he going to make the moves to take him to that next step? Joseph Salvatore says, "Do you guys think we're underestimating Wisconsin?" Uh, I assume he means this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said next year. I feel like some people are saying the game will be easy, but Wisconsin always plays physical and has shown it can beat more talented teams. I've never seen anyone say that the game's going to be easy. I think it's a good matchup for Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame will win. I don't get the whole Wisconsin's favored to win thing. That makes no sense yeah, to I me. Yeah, I don't get that either. But I've never said it'll be easy. I mean, we actually had the opposite thing when we were discussing this the other day, that if Notre Dame, if if the offensive line doesn't play to a good level, that that could end up becoming your toughest matchup. But I just don't think Clemson, Wisconsin scores enough. I don't think they're dynamic enough on offense to upset Notre Dame. 
I've never said it's going to be an easy game. Should Notre Dame win? Absolutely, they should win that game. Mm-hmm. It's Wisconsin. You're Notre Dame. You've been a playoff team two Correct. of the last three years. Correct. But will it be easy? Look, you could win by 17 points, and it won't be easy for exactly the reason that Joseph just said is they're physical and they're very well coached. And it's one of those games where you, even if you beat them convincingly, you're sore. You're going to spend a little bit extra time in the <laughs> ice bath on Sunday morning when you play Wisconsin. There's no question about that. Let's see. Sean McArdle says, I'm trying to stay positive on skill position recruiting on offense. Recent Kelly are forced to play a more exciting offense this year due to their personnel, which attracts talent in 2023. Thoughts? I think you're right on. Yes. I think I think in a, I think a more productive, explosive, and like fun to watch off. Here's the thing about Notre Dame's offense. Is it was it successful in 2020 based on they did what they need to do to win? Yes. Was it fun to watch? God no. You know, and I'm someone who likes running the ball. I mean, mm-hmm. but I don't know of any recruit other than a 230 pound running back or an offensive lineman that watched it and was like, "Ooh, I want to play in that offense." You know, <laughs> I love run blocking as a wide receiver. It's so much fun. You know, I mean, that stuff matters. But you start putting up 40 points a game, you start spreading the ball out, you start putting, you know more screens, more RPOs, more using Kyron Williams as a as a receiver more, and all. Yeah, all of a sudden it becomes a much more fun offense. So yes, I mm-hmm. think you're right. You're absolutely on something, Sean. And uh, Notre Dame is still, uh, or Wisconsin is still favored to win that game uh, by one and a half points. Is this well, at least it's going down? Yeah, it's less so. stupid than it was two two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, just on, just figured I'd throw that out there. I just looked it up. Maybe uh, they finally realize that it's not actually at Wisconsin. Yeah, exactly. Although I saw Wisconsin's wearing all white, which I thought was interesting. So they're wearing wearing away uniforms for their quote unquote home game, which just makes no sense to me. Anyway, uh, John Swim says, I love the analysis, guys. Just started listening recently, and I've been surprised by your comments on Pat Coogan giving his strong offer list. Can you say more about what makes him a plan C guy? He was a plan C guy because of when they went to him. I mean, they missed a lot of guys and then went to him. I mean, when they had him in camp and he didn't do – they had him in camp, I think, before the 2019 season and were not impressed with what he did and didn't offer him. They didn't offer him until they missed out on – I mean, they had already missed out on plan A guys, and then they missed out on some plan B guys, and then they went to Patrick Coogan. So he was clearly a plan C guy. Right. The offer list to me, you know, he's got a, had an Ohio State offer, for example. He could not have committed Ohio State if he wanted to commit. That's what that's the, that's the thing that we do have to to be careful when we just look at offer lists. Is just because the kid has an offer from this school or that school doesn't mean he can commit to this school or that school, mm-hmm. right? And, and so, look, he's a tough kid, and some schools recruit for depth, right? That's the other thing is you you you. you sometimes you need that program kid that you know is going to be there for four years and not transfer. And there's nothing wrong with that, but he's also a guy that is just, there's nothing on film. I mean, again, at the end of the day, you want to know why I think of something about a kid because that's what the film tells me. Mm-hmm. I could end up being wrong. The kid can end up playing better than what he did in high school. So it happens all the time, but he didn't do anything on film to me that showed me that he has the athleticism, that he has the overall ability to be anything other than just a solid football player. And that's it. Brandon Plensner says, by the way, I got my IB hat and gap closers tee yesterday. Thanks, Brian. Why have I not seen it on Twitter yet, Brandon? That's my question. Ouch. That's my thing. I just need to see it. I want to see it. I want to be able to tweet it out. The awesome stuff. I appreciate you uh, buying it. But, yeah, it makes it more a little bit more fun, at least for me. Then I can say, hey, look, look what Brandon got. You want to get in on this? (laughs) You got to do it. Here's the link. Uh, Jojo says, guys, is it advantageous to coach from the box up above to get a whole field view of what offenses and defenses are doing, or do coaches prefer to be on the field? 
It's all personal preference. I, I see no advantage to either one other for, for overall. Like there's no one advantage big picture. It's just it's di- there are some coaches it's an advantage to be on the field. For some, it's an advantage being on the box. It's it's like Vince said, it's all personal preference. There's there's no like because uh, if, if there was an advantage, then every coach every team would be doing it the same way. Yeah. It's right. just what you're comfortable with. I, I've known coaches that just couldn't be up in the box. They just they 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 couldn't call games that way. They'd think too much. You know what I mean? And down on the field allowed them to be more quick reactionary, you know, like almost like you're a quarterback. And and for other coaches, that's the exact opposite of where they're right. And, and some coaches like to be on the field so that they can interact with the players and right. when they're coming off the field. Right. Like, that's the only advantage to it. But yeah. then again, that's just if you feel you as the coordinator need to do that. I mean, right. A lot of times you you want the assistants to be that guy, you know. Right. So right. It just it just it's different for everybody. Yep, for sure. Uh, Christopher Salle says, does Audric Estime pass Flemister as the big power back at some point this season? He looks massive for a running back. It won't be easy because Sebo's a good football player. Very good. Football could football could player. it happen? Absolutely. I could also see Logan Diggs passing him up too. I mean, they're both both really good backs. Yes, Audric is a massive kid, but there's a lot more to being a good running back than just being massive. You know, is this footwork there? Does he make good reads? You can't be a big power back if you're not making great reads because your, your whole goal is to maximize yardage and move the chains, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things that go into that. I think Audric has those talents to be good at those things, but he's got to go prove it. So am I predicting it right now? No, but um, that's just because I haven't really thought too much about it. I mean, somebody's going to play and, and sure. you know, could it happen? Absolutely. Would I be surprised if it happened? No, not really, but it's, it's, and it would be encouraging if it does, because Sebo's not going to give that position away without working for it. And if you're able to beat him out, then that means you had a really good, you're, you're playing very well in practice. Lauren Hamilton says, I hear a lot about coaches having to call the kids for recruiting. How long are these calls and why does it sound like such a chore? <laughs> I don't. I don't think it is for people that love recruiting. Yeah, you know. I mean, I'm making I think, relationships. I mean, you're you're, yeah. you're you're calling and you're trying to get to know the kid. I, and from what I've heard, a lot of kids just enjoy having conversations with coaches, not necessarily talking about football, but just mm-hmm. creating. And a lot of times, the longest conversations that you have are not about football. Mm-hmm. They're just talking. And, and I think that at the end of the day, the coaches who like recruiting are the coaches who like relationship, really value relationships. Mm-hmm. And those are the coaches that are going to really put a lot of value into that. And also, the, I think it's important too. I mean, you, well, we just had no idea that this kid was this kind of character. Well, that's because you never really talked to him. You never really got to know him. You just looked at him as a football player and did what you had to do to get him, but you didn't actually invest the time in getting to know him because you might have seen that, you know, if you'd have got to know him a little bit. But I, I think for the most part, the staff does. I know Marcus Freeman does a good job with that. Mike Mickens does a pretty decent job with that. Mike Elson does a pretty decent job with that. And, you know, we need to see more of it on the other side of the ball. Matt D says, what's up, Brian and Vince? What's up, man? <laughs> Eric Ward says, why can't Kelly close on these kids we are losing? What is he doing? I mean, look, I Brian Kelly's ultimately responsible for this. He's head coach. Sure. Buck but, stops. Yeah. You know, I mean, the buck stops with him. But look, this is this is a problem with those position coaches that are missing, first and foremost. Now, what does Brian Kelly do about it? That's a fair question. But Brian Kelly didn't lose these guys, you know. He, but you yeah. know, could he? Could he? And Brian Kelly's putting in work to help them. See, part of the thing is this: they knew they were losing Billy Shrouf, which is why Brian Kelly got involved. Right. They thought they had Nick Anderson in the bag, so they there wasn't a need there to get wasn't a need. Involved. Yeah, right, right, right. And that was a bad strategy, bad planning, and not reading the board. I don't fault Brian Kelly for that, other than the fact that you know he's the one who hired the coaches, right? So they're ultimately he always has that responsibility. But uh, 
yeah, that's that's my thoughts on that. Anthony says, if everyone in college football was an option, name your number one and number two picks for Notre Dame offensive coordinator. I'm not a Reese hater, but it's Friday, so let's just have some fun. Yeah, I, I'm I'm okay. So let's let's do it this way. I don't know the college landscape as well as well, you do from a coach. I just standpoint. I don't like doing this because then it looks like I'm banging on Reese. Let's uh, right. let's put it this way: Notre Dame goes out this year has a really good year, and Tommy Reese gets the offensive coordinator job for the New England Patriots. Okay, let's look at it so, that way. So or the job is or, open. Or Brian or or Tommy Reese gets a head coaching job, right? Right at a small okay. school, a, whatever. At, 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 wherever. wherever. I mean, wherever. you're trying to boot him down to a small school, wow. man. So he he replaces hey. Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, whatever. <laughs> I'm just, I'm trying just to get saying he'd be a first-time right? head coach, and he's like 28. Yeah, um, you know who who would I go after? The problem is, is the guys that I would go after would be hard to go after. And this is what people have to understand. It's like, yeah, I'd kind of be interested in going after Tony Elliott at Clemson. He's not leaving Notre Dame to come or leaving Clemson to come be the offensive coordinator in Notre Dame, right? You say, well, well, who are the other great offensive minds of college football? Well, it's Ryan Day. Oh, well, he's a head coach. Uh, Lincoln Riley. Well, he's a head coach. You're not going to get him. You know, I mean, that's the thing is, is it's not so much about, uh, you know, who's the guy. It's about find someone that's going to run a system that's going to fit what you do. I would honestly, the first call I would make would be to the same guy that I thought they should have hired two years ago. And that's Joe Moorhead. You know, uh, that's, that's, that's the call that I would make. But I mean, what I would look for is again, I don't know if there's a guy specifically that I would look for because you know, I, there's been a lot of turnover in the in the coaches that are. I mean, I wouldn't have known who the heck Joe Brady was when they hired Joe Brady. That worked out pretty good, even though people got to remember Joe Brady was not the offensive coordinator at LSU. He was the pass game coordinator. But uh, you know, to me, I'd want to find someone that would bring. Um, I would want to find someone that, to me, understood the college game a little bit more than maybe some of these other guys. I have usually in the past been anti air raid because the air raid was so much of a pass oriented thing, but I think there's some guys that come from an, a, a more an nuanced version of the air raid, yeah. like a Lincoln Riley, like the, the Phil Longo at North Carolina that do air raid, but they run the ball a lot. I would look for someone who, who understands the need to run the football because you have to run the football to win Notre Dame, but also that understands that running the football doesn't mean you sacrifice the pass game. You can be an explosive, efficient passing offense. And so, whether that's an air raid, whether that's a West Coast, whether it's a pro-style guy, I would want that schematically. But then also someone who understands this isn't about me showing everyone how smart I am. This is about what we need to do to make sure that our players are executing at an incredibly high level and that it's a system that's easy to learn but hard to defend. And that's the key. And there aren't a ton of guys out there that can do that at an elite level, which is why you tend to see the same programs over and over and over again. Let's see. Oh, this is a good one. Uh, with running back Sawchuck, he was scheduled to visit after Oklahoma. Did Notre Dame cancel the visit, or has he just wanted to commit to the Sooners? Uh, and we all misinterpreted that recruit, and he really didn't want to come to Notre Dame in the first place. Well, I think he liked Notre Dame a lot. I think I think Oklahoma just did a really good job of of getting him. And I, I honestly can't answer. I haven't talked to Gavin since that happened, but I, I think Oklahoma was considered the leader for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I just think they were able to close on them. And yeah. and one of the things that I had said uh, when when they kicked those that one running back, the freshman running back who had a really good season, off the team, and we talked at the time, I said that's going to make Oklahoma a lot harder to beat for Gavin Solchuk. Yeah. I was surprised he didn't at least visit on, visit campus. But I think part of that was Oklahoma putting the pressure on him to commit. You know, and you know, yeah. 
And I thought Notre Dame, too, kind of misread the situation a little bit because they thought they were going to get Nicholas Singleton. Jason Rose says, is Mike Elston underrated in national circles? And I think this is a really good question because we all rave about Mike Elston, his recruiting, his development of defensive linemen, you know, all of that. We, we, we talk about it all the time. And I think this is a really good question because he should have been scooped up by now as a defensive coordinator, as even a head coach, you know, all these different things. So people are wondering, what, you know, what is his reputation like in national circles? I think, and I'll let you answer it. And then if you don't say something that I'm thinking, I'll, I'll bring it up. Well, I think it's, I think it's changed the last four years because of just the job that Notre Dame has done. And he's finally had a defensive coordinator that could allow him to flourish as a developmental guy. And he's finally had a strength program. That's here's the thing. Any position coach is only as good as the strength coach. If you, if you're a great coach, but you don't have great, a strength strength program, then your players are never going to reach their full potential. And so I think that's been a big part of it too. And, you know, I think he's very underrated as that. I think part of the reason Mike Elson has not left as a defensive coordinator or even a head coach is because he is not going to just take a D coordinator job just to take a D coordinator job. He's happy at Notre Dame. He likes it at Notre Dame. He's very loyal to Brian Kelly. I think another reason why, why Notre Dame hasn't had a ton of coaches leave for those type of big time jobs, because I think Brian Kelly does a terrible job promoting his coaches. How often do we hear from coordinators during the season? We hear from them in preseason and then we never hear from them again. Well, And and that's one of the things that I said about Marcus Freeman is I'd love to hear more from him to get him ready but you're right. It's we all don't hear Brian Kelly. Any of those guys, you know, and and, he, and I don't think he does a good job of pushing guys for jobs because he wants to keep them here. Um, that's I feel like just, he pushes that's, to get guys jobs when he wants them to when he not wants be them on out. His staff yes. anymore. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, I mean, you know, you look at Clark Lee and the job he took was at his alma mater, who's the worst team in the SEC, right? I mean, most of the jobs guys leave for are like Miami of Ohio, and that, it's not always true. I mean, Chuck Martin he didn't push out, he, you know, but, but right. Chuck Martin got the Miami of Ohio job. But done a great Chuck job. Martin also was a former head coach who had two national championships under his belt. Yeah, he's got you a pretty know? decent resume. So already, I don't think yeah. Brian Kelly does a good job of promoting. So, I mean, part of it is like, I, I, hey, I don't know how good this assistant coach is going to be handling the media. Well, why did you know that? Because we've never seen him talk to me other than one preseason thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that's something that if Brian Kelly will really wants to develop the program, then he needs to understand it's not always your face we need to see. You know what I mean? Allow your assistant coaches to do that too. And I mean. You know, part of it is because I I want them worried about coaching. Let me take the, the you know the the arrows and the the slings and arrows that the media is going to give at us. But you know, so I don't need to see Marcus Freeman every Thursday. But you know, we should be able to hear it from him. So, you know, throughout the year for sure. It was very Shakespearean there. The slings and arrows, very very impressive, Brian. Uh, let's see. Jojo uh, says he goes. I got it, Coach. But Vince's chuckle gave it away about a certain DB. Hey, I know nothing when it comes to who's going to be committing and who's not going to be committing. I was laughing at, at uh, my, my guy's face over there. Mm-hmm. He, he made me laugh. I just, I miss, I miss Brian's face this week. Let's see. I mean, yeah. Anyway, go on. Next question. That, that's all I'm going to say. Yeah, next question. Say. Okay. Is there a lot of conversation going on? Yeah. Just about a lot of uh, personal uh, accounts of being at the stadium and gotcha. being told to sit down and you know, that fun stuff. Uh, he goes, Hey coach, love the show. I no longer go anywhere else for Irish news. Is Lug one of our five best linemen? What happened to Baker shifting over to battle at right tackle? I think he is kind of battle at right tackle for the backup job. Um, but, I mean, Josh Lug was always going to be a starter. The question was, is where was he going to start? Josh Lug has always been a guy that you would say, hey, he's going to start for Notre Dame. Um, 
it just was going to be tackle or guard. And I think tackle is where it, it's fitting right now in regards to, you know, Rocco uh, stepping up in the spring and, and, you know, Jarrett Patterson not being there and, you know, him probably staying inside and those type of things. But there, to me, anyway, there was never a question that Josh Lug was one of your best five. The question was, is where would Josh Lug play as yeah. part of your best five? But, Correct. you know, look, I know Josh Lug struggled at, in 2020, but listen, kids should have never been playing center ever. If you go, if you want to know what Josh Luck can do, go back and watch the final five games of the 2019 season after Robert Hainsey got got hurt. That's what Josh Luck is capable of, which also was the best stretch of the season offensively. I mean, scoring points and stuff. That was their best stretch of the season. They didn't play very good teams, but he. I mean, and well, and they played Duke. If you want to, Duke game is going to watch because remember, Duke wasn't a very good defense, but they had Chris Rump at defensive end. They had Victor Dimikiji, who that was probably one of the better defensive end tandems they played that year. And Josh handled himself pretty well that game. Matty K fifty five. He says, "What are your guys' thoughts on what happened to the twenty fourteen Notre Dame team? Was the FSU loss that impactful?" Or was that Notre Dame team not as good as we thought after the 6-0 and start? Well, a couple things happened. Number one is that team was as good as the start because, I mean, they, they went toe-to-toe with Florida State. I think they had a mental collapse against Arizona State. And I think a lot of that had to do with the quarterback. I think I think Everett, after the, the loss to Arizona State, just kind of lost his confidence. And a quarterback mm-hmm. loses his confidence, he's done. I think the other thing is, by the end of the year, they were just so decimated by injuries that I mean they couldn't stop anybody you had a bad defensive coordinator remember Sheldon Day got hurt uh I think Jerron Jones got hurt at one point in time late in the year Drew Tranquil was gone I mean you had a ton of injuries at that point in time in the year and that combined with just Brian Van Gorder being a, a terrible coach and then the other thing too is remember that was Brian Van Gorder's first year mm-hmm. and it wasn't until really that second half of that Florida State game that he really got exposed, but you started to see it the week before against North Carolina, you know, like he really got exposed when Jimbo just coached him, you know, coached him, I mean, under the table in the second half of that game, but against North Carolina, he started to really see the warts. That was the game before, you know, North Carolina scored 43. I mean, there was times when Notre Dame wasn't even lined up and they were snapping the ball and getting it out. Remember that Vince? Mm-hmm. And, you know, people finally had some film on Brian Van Gorder. That's really what it was about. They started getting some film on him. And then after that, he couldn't stop anybody. You know, he, he that guy couldn't coach his way out of a wet paper bag. And I'm sorry to say that, but that's just a fact. You know, they gave up 43 flipping points to North, a Northwestern team that that year averaged on the season 23 points. This is the m- number. This is what Northwestern did before the Notre Dame game. 24, 15, 24, 29, 20, 17, 17, 7, and 9. They hadn't scored more than 20 points in five games. And they went and scored 43 on Notre Dame in that game because, you know, Van Gorder was pretty terrible. And, and they, that, that, that Brian Kelly made a horrible call that game to go for two instead of kicking the extra point, which allowed Northwestern. If they'd have kicked the extra point and gone up 12 instead of 11, Northwestern would have had to try to score a touchdown instead of a, a touchdown, a two-point conversion in a, in a, in a, in a field goal. So I think that was part of it as well. So I just think, and, and like the USC game, you go look at the team that played against USC, and then go look at who was a, who played in the Florida State game, and it's a completely different roster at a lot of places on defense. I mean, they had like Jacob Matuska playing a bunch that game. They were so banged up by the end of the season. Um, yeah, 
So you got a super chat, Bench. Let me pull that one up. Yep, please. Anthony L says, love the data-driven analysis, guys. Keely said he and Vernon are teaming up to build a top 2023 class. Will this impact offensive recruiting too? Yeah, I mean, Absolutely. one of the guys he talked about was Cardinal Tate. And, you know, and and so I did find out that actually was Keon Keeley in our chat the other day. Huh. So I did reach out to him. Oh, Vince, you weren't here for that. I wasn't Keon here. Keon Keeley jumped in our chat. A couple no of kidding. Chats. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> was talking to people. So that was pretty awesome. I didn't want to put it up because I wasn't sure if that was actually him. Yeah, but I sure. reached out to him yesterday and he was like, hey, you know, appreciate it. I love being able to help out Notre Dame and, and you know, love Notre Dame and all that kind of stuff. So I no thought that kidding. was pretty awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. But, uh, you that's know, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely going to help, in my opinion, offensive recruiting, because I think you, you're going to develop relationships with those guys. And Keon's down in Florida. Carnell Tate's now down in Florida. Keon's from Tampa, Berkeley Prep. Uh, Carnell Tate goes to IMG Academy in Bradenton, which is mm-hmm. right by Tampa. So they're going to be playing high school ball really close to each other. So that's, I mean, because Carnell's originally from Chicago, but IMG right. Academy is, is you know, is really close to where he's going to be in Tampa. So, yeah, I think those things can absolutely impact it. No question about it. Mike Gardner says, in my humble opinion, Notre Dame needs to sign a top quarterback prospect to level up wide receiver recruiting. Not saying Notre Dame doesn't have good quarterbacks right now. I agree, but I think Tyler Buckner is that guy. I think Tyler Buckner is a top prospect. Now, look, you can't just do one top prospect and get another one in six years. Right. I mean, you need to get one every two or three years at least. And so, yes, 2023 recruiting is very important. But I do think that Tyler Buckner could be that guy. And that's what we talked about at the beginning of the show, where if Tyler Buckner turns out to be as good as I think he can be, and he's got to mm-hmm. do it, right? He's got to prove it. But if he does, then he is the kind of guy that elevates everyone around him. It's a lot easier for a big time quarterback to elevate uh, receivers than it is for great receivers to elevate a big time quarterback because. In regular season, not so much, but when you play in the big games, if a quarterback isn't up to snuff, he's going to get exposed eventually, in my opinion. Where a receiving core can struggle and the quarterback can put them on their shoulders. If you And if you want to know an example, go watch the Ohio State-Clemson game in 2019. The receivers for Clemson were dropping balls, weren't getting open. Jeff Akuda was just beating those guys up. They were down 16-0, and Trevor Lawrence was like, okay, let me put my Superman cape on. I got this thing. You know what I mean? So dude goes out and runs for 100 yards, You know, makes some big-time throws. He put that team on his shoulders. A receiver can't do that if the quarterback's not right. able – because a receiver can't – you can't unless you want to start snapping it to him. You know what I mean? Like, you want to – you know, I mean, that's about all you can do. Matt D says, Dylan Gibbons' post on Twitter trying to help a kid was awesome. He's mm-hmm. an ND man. No question. And he is because he has a Notre Dame degree. And mm-hmm. he, he was here at Notre Dame for four, four years, right? So that was really awesome. Mike says, am I justified to be worried about missing out on Merriweather and Williams? Um, yeah, I think that's justified because, you know, I could say, hey, look, Notre Dame is in a really good position right now, right? And I feel really good, but I, I'd be willing to bet you Notre Dame thought they were even in stronger position for Nicholas Anderson than they were for than those other two guys. So yeah, it's, it's legitimate concern at this point in time. Again, right now, if I had to predict where those two guys would sign, I would both, I would predict Notre Dame for both of them. But a week ago, I would have done the same thing for Nicholas Anderson. Now sure. the good news is, is neither one of those guys are taking visits this week. Like, cause that period's over. Like we saw with, um, you know, with, uh, with Nicholas Anderson. Right. So the dust kind of settles at this point, visits are in the bag, you know, for this month. So, you know, now it's a and it's a dead period, right? I mean, I don't even think mm-hmm. coaches can reach out. So now it's yeah, just kind of yeah. settling and figuring things out. I don't know if it's dead or quiet. I'd have to look into that. Okay. I think it's part quiet, part dead, but I'm not 100% sure with that. Okay. 82 Slice, he says, I may have missed it. What happened with our position with Nicholas Singleton? Just couldn't close. Just couldn't close. I mean, simple as that. that he Did was, he commit? Is he? He, did, he didn't, you know, he's going to make his announcement on 
the July 6th. Okay. But everyone in the world believes he's picking Penn State. Gotcha. So unless Notre Dame can fix things, that's what's going to happen. But uh, they just couldn't close. I mean, they couldn't keep the the good vibes coming out of the visit that they yeah. had. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Mike Haw says, it's a great Irish podcast. Definitely enjoy the listen. Thanks, Mike. Mm-hmm. Appreciate that. Nate Wallace is about to go up my favorite people list. <laughs> Everyone knows Virginia is where the real And it, Nathan went to school right here. Oh, no way. kidding. Mm-hmm. Yep. That. Yep. RG, RJG Irving. I mess his name up every time, and I apologize. You got it that man. time. Okay. That time. I like the, uh, the powder dry strategy for a few recruiting spots. There will be fall surprises, and other schools will make mistakes with commits. ND isn't the only place where recruiting mistakes are made. I mean, that's true, right? But it just, again, everyone's going to miss guys. The problem is that this has become a pattern at certain positions that we, we can't just dismiss by saying, ah, they made a mistake. Okay, well, they're, they're making them too often, right? Every school's going to miss guys. Everyone's going to make mistakes. But th- that's, when it becomes a pattern is when you start to get concerned. And that's the issue. It's become a pattern. It, it's not just one year. It's mm-hmm. been you know, a couple of years now. And it's also a thing where the success that they were having, it was driven by a couple guys that are no longer here. That has to be considered as well. Anthony says, why don't we schedule more games versus Texas schools to help get Texas recruits? I don't I, I'm gonna I'm gonna attempt this one, Brian. I I feel like scheduling games in certain areas isn't as important as it used to be. Um, with the way games are on TV and, and access and things of that nature. Now, is it still important to get into those areas? Sure, but I just don't know that it's as important as it used to be. What do you think? I disagree with that. Okay. I think, but I think it's not just one game isn't going to move the needle. What's impacted Notre Dame, for example, I think playing in the ACC has helped Notre Dame with mid Atlantic recruits all the way down to Georgia. Okay. But it's, it's a situation where it's not so much that, hey, I got to see Notre Dame play when they played in front of me and, you know, whatever. It's more of a, I know that every year I'm from North Carolina, I'm from Virginia. I know every year I'm going to go play at least one or two road games a year in front of my people. Okay, that makes sense. So it's the consistency of playing in the Mid-Atlantic that has helped Notre Dame, whereas just playing one game every three or four years in Texas or even doing a home-and-home with Texas isn't going to necessarily move the needle. I also don't think – like USC doesn't play a lot of games in Texas. Mm -hmm. They get kids from Texas. Alabama – when was the last time Alabama went and played a game? They do what Notre Dame does. They occasionally play a game in Dallas. Like Notre Dame has occasionally played a game in Dallas. Sure. Uh, But it's more about, hey, kids from Texas are are willing to go places and ball. And – that's what it's really all about. You got to put in the work, but I mean, do I, but I do think it would part of the process would be every three or four years. I'd, I'd want to play in Texas either in a neutral site game in in Dallas or, and that's why I said, like, I'd love to, I'd love to have Texas, some, some combination of Texas and TCU on my schedule, at least one home and home with each of them over the course of 10 years. And then maybe you have a rice home and home. Sure. You know, a North Texas home, you know, or not, not home and home, but you, you know, you get, you get, yeah. you know, rice up there. But I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to going down and playing rice. You know what I mean? Like if it meant that you were going to get that, it may not move the needle a whole lot, but you know, you get rice on your schedule, get, you know, but go play, okay. t- go play TCU down in Fort Worth. I mean, it's right outside of Dallas. You know what I mean? That can't hurt. You know, uh, there's some schools I don't think, I don't think playing Texas Tech helps you. I don't think that moves the needle, but neutral site games, combination of some sort of home and homes with those kind of teams, you know, playing a Houston, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to that. So those are things I'd like to see. Laker. 
Oh, go ahead. There was one question after we'll get to it after this. So that I'll, oh, okay. Go ahead. Uh, Laker Iris says, does CJ Williams want to take his recruitment into the fall? Like Tobias Merriweather said he was going to. CJ's been back and forth on this right now. He's leaning towards making a decision this summer, J- like July, August period. So right now it's looking good for Notre Dame with CJ Williams, but he has, he has, so where Tobias has kind of been consistent that I want to take it into the fall. CJ was into the fall, but he's been more, kind of leading into the Notre Dame visit and definitely coming out of the Notre Dame visit has been more about, you know, hey, I may make a decision this summer. Now it's just about, you know, getting him to do so. Did you have one you wanted to throw yeah, out I that did. I missed? Sorry, Rob Wicks ahead. said, do you think Dell is in a make-or-break year? Uh, I, I do. I do think we need to talk about that. I do I do think that he needs to be able to, 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 to get those veterans ready to play, which he's always kind of done a good job of getting veterans ready to play, right? Once guys become juniors and seniors, or especially seniors, he's, those guys have thrived under Coach Alexander. But he has to be able to do that, plus get get Xavier Watts able to play, get Lorenzo Styles, get Deion Colsey ready to play. And I think he needs to bounce back in recruiting. I do. I do think because we've now seen Brian Kelly multiple times talk about not having enough playmakers on the perimeter. And now Coach Alexander is now in year four going into year five, right? So 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, he's going into year five. Well, you can't blame the previous coaching staff for what you do or don't have a receiver anymore. Sure. That's on you. Uh, Larry Martin says, what keeps a school's rich booster with a business from hiring a kid for PR work as an excuse to just pay the player? This will become a cesspool. I think you actually have to have them do the work, though. Like, you can't just give – they have to actually do something. Like, you can't just say, hey, we're going to hire you, and you don't do anything. You actually have to do the work. You know, and if that's what they want to do, then, I mean, it is what it is. But to to your point, Larry, I mean, there's there's just – there's no – I mean – there's no oversight. At least there's, there's no, no guidance. There's no guidance. That's a better word. Thank and a you. lot of schools are going to look to take full advantage of that. Oh, absolutely. No question about that. it. You want to hit that super chat, Brian? Yeah. Old Grim. Yeah, I just ordered my IB hat. Great show, guys. Yeah, and I just saw it pop up in my email, mailbox. So nice. I'll be sending emails out to you all here in a little bit, but I appreciate that very, very much. Laker Irish says, was Jalen Sneed on Notre Dame's radar before Freeman was hired? Is Sneed planning on committing this summer or pushing to the fall? No, he was not on their radar. He did not get offered until after Marcus Freeman was hired. And yes, he will be committing this summer. Okay. I would imagine sooner rather than later to, to someone. Richard uh, says, I think Sneed was on coach's radar before he was on Notre Dame's. Talking about you, buddy. No, actually not for Notre Dame. Like I had seen his <laughs> film and I thought he was really good, but he wasn't like on my radar like, they, this is a guy Notre Dame should go after. I mean, just oh, Notre Dame man. doesn't go into South Carolina and and uh, and make those kind of plays. Now, he was on, if he's talking about I Coach think Freeman. About Coach Freeman, he said. That, what, yes, okay, Freeman there you go. Sensitive. There you go. I apologize. Um, I no, misread that one. Yeah, no, he, he absolutely was. I mean, he – he recruited him while he was in Cincinnati. Jalen Seeds talked about that in interviews. He did an interview with us, or his coach did an interview with us, where he was talking about how Marcus Freeman recruited him at Cincinnati. I mean, Mark, think about that. Marcus Freeman had to – what's the word I'm looking for here? Moxie was the one yes. used earlier. And yes, I, like- I was going to use a different word that would be less appropriate. Uh, <laughs> to go into South Carolina and try to recruit a top 100 recruit while he was at Cincinnati. Yeah. You think he's going to be afraid to go toe to toe with Alabama and, and, and those with schools the, when he's at Notre Dame with a Notre Dame logo on his Come shirt? Come on, yeah. man! Come on now. <laughs> okay, uh, Chief Brody, and you're going to have to help me out with some context here. He says, "Is everyone in the chat feeling better today?" Laugh out loud. 
Yeah, there's there's a lot of frustration in yesterday's chat about recruiting on offense because it was there was oh, okay. some stuff breaking about Nicholas Singleton, and this was before oh. Nicholas. If we had done this chat last night after Nicholas Anderson committed to Oregon, I, yeah, and, and there was some troll that came into the thread yesterday that was acting like a clown that I think got people real riled, riled uh, up too. Um, you know, so yeah, gotcha. you, you get those, and then of course, you know, it's just me, so I, I can't see what's going on, and <laughs> right, right, you know, absolutely. Uh, Michael Scheller uh, says, not sure if this question has ever been asked, but I was wondering if Harry Heastand ever landed an offensive lineman from the state of Wisconsin. Just curious. I don't know that he recruited any linemen from the state of Wisconsin, to be honest with you. He was too busy taking guys from Urban Meyer in Ohio. <laughs> but no, I, what, what Wisconsin's done in recent years has been a little bit unique. And not Wisconsin, the university, but I mean, I don't know the last time I remember there being three top 100 caliber offensive linemen from the state of Wisconsin, to be honest with you. Jordan Shriver says, do you know if Coach Reese is for or against Bradshaw? Because I think you mentioned that there were some coaches ne- neither. That were for, some that were neither. against. Neither. I think for, for, yeah. for Coach Reese, it's more about just wanting to learn more about him. Gotcha. I think is really what that one boils down to. Jason Rose says, correct me if I'm wrong, the way Notre Dame recruits the line of scrimmage, it feels like Brian Kelly has built a team to beat Alabama five or six years ago and not the Alabama that has adapted. Yeah. We've I think, and I think that. that's what he's trying to – he's been trying to chase that 2012 Alabama team. And Alabama's not that Alabama team anymore. I mean, they've changed. They are a different program now. And, you know, yeah, I, that's very fair. So it's yeah. a very good observation, Jason. Very good observation. Chief Brody wants to know if you think Notre Dame in 2020 would have beaten Alabama in 2012. No, they didn't have the it actually would have been a worse game, yeah. in my opinion, because that team would have that team would have so much bigger and stronger. Yeah, I mean that was a, I mean that team ran on Stephon Tuitt, Lewis Nix, and Capron Lewis Moore. I mean, think about that, mm-hmm. and Manti. Let's see. Kevin Horton, exactly, Brian. Market value in this world where folks are covertly paying kids for nothing in return, what exactly is market value? It's legalizing money laundering and creating a bidding war. I Pretty much. I, I don't see the yeah. problem with that statement. Like I, I think that's exactly yeah. what's happening or what is going to yeah. happen, and it's a, that's a huge problem for me. But Yeah, I agree. Uh, Laker Irish says this time last year, were you expecting JOK to break out like he did last year? I, I will he, say yes, because he had a he better broke season in his junior year yeah. than he did his senior year. Well, statistically, about him. statistically, yeah, right, yeah. right, right, right. But he broke out the year. He before. already broke out. Yeah. I mean, the latest you could say he broke out was the Texas, uh, t- the Iowa state game. I mean, in 2019, Jeremiah Wusukor Moa had 80 tackles, 13 and a half tackles for loss and five and a half sacks. I mean, he had already broken out. He wasn't the national name yet, right? And I honestly don't know if he became that until the Clemson game, to be honest with you. But, yeah, he he, he had already broken out. Okay. And, and to your point, I, I we've been talking about Jeremiah Wusukormo for a while. Yes. I mean, going back to his freshman year, we were he would have played a little bit sooner had he not had some injuries. But, yeah, I, I, yeah. Go ahead, Vince. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Uh, Brandon says, I hope Golden Tate retires soon. It would be interesting to see him as a wide receiver coach at Notre Dame. Well, Just because a guy can play doesn't mean a guy can coach. We have not, no clue what kind of coach Golden And we have no idea what kind of recruiter he can be. Right. I will say he's got a very outgoing personality, sure. 
But you're right. We we but really recruiting don't is know. about grinding. It's a yes. grind. Yes. And would a guy that's made that much money have the? And that was yeah. kind of one of the things with Todd Light. It's like Todd Light had had been a, a ten plus NFL pro ten year vet, won a Super Bowl, had made tons of money in business. Sure. Does he really want to spend fifteen hours a day calling teenagers? No, not really. You know, and and so I. Look, not not every just because you can play doesn't mean you can recruit, just, and doesn't mean you can coach, right? Autry Denson was Notre Dame's all time leading rusher. He was probably the second worst recruiter that Notre Dame has had under Brian Kelly's tenure. Mm-hmm. Still the leading rusher at Notre Dame. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right? right. But doesn't mean he can coach. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. And and right by the way, Golden Tate does not have an NFL team right now. So um, just putting that out there. I thought the Titans had hired him, or signed him. He wanted to go to either the Titans or the Colts. From what I heard, and I don't know if he actually signed. This was be- right before I went on vacation. He was talking about teams he wanted to go to. Yeah, he. Um, is, you're right. He is unsigned. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He named like four teams that he wanted to go to. It was the Colts, the Titans, the Chargers? Maybe it was one of the California teams. I can't remember. Anyway, mm-hmm. but so I, yeah, he's unsigned. Uh, let's see here. Luke wants to know, do you guys think the staff is worried NIL stuff will get in the way of classwork and change player priorities? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. 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 No question. Absolutely. <laughs> because look, what we've heard in the past from players is that it's immensely difficult to balance school and football, mm-hmm. right? And now you're going to add a third thing to that plate, especially, you know, and it's going to be uneven for guys because not everybody is going to get contracts and things of that nature. So you are literally adding a third ball to the juggling act that mm-hmm. players, former players have told us um, is so hard to balance. It's absolutely going to be a problem. I, I would be mm-hmm. so worried about that. Yeah. Very, very legitimate concern. Mm-hmm. Here's a good one from Gabe Weiss, Vince. Thank you. How much does Cone a leader, Jack Cone a leader, is he uh, going to come in and be a vocal leader, or will he just let the established players take that role? He's he did it really well. He came in and his at first it was just I'm going to put in the work, and he did some stuff behind the scenes, you know, talking to young guys. Hey, let's go work out, let's go throw. But he did not show up in people's face, getting on people. Hey, you know, let's get to work. It's like let me come in and let me lead by example. Mm-hmm. And the longer he's been there, the more and more and more he's been involved in you know being a vocal leader. I don't see Jack Cohn being like a, you know, like 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 Ian Book wasn't a very vocal leader. Ian Book was a leader by I'm gonna show up every day, I'm gonna put in the work. You know, if I got to talk to you, I'm gonna talk to you. But you know, Ian Book wasn't getting in guys' faces and yelling at guys or or or, be, or really. I mean, we don't. How many videos do we see of Ian Book being a you know in the locker room getting guys rah rah like Alohi Gilman was that kind of guy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think Jack Cohn will be more like that. You know, lead by yeah. example, and when something needs to be said, I'll say it. But it's about getting the job done and and making sure that everybody knows that there's an expectation of what the work that needs to be put in, and I'm going to set the standard for that, and you better live up to that standard. Michael Morris says, Brian, I work for the IRS. We need to talk. <laughs> then Michael says, are you keeping track of the chat money? <laughs> I think, was he's referring, joke for me. I think he's referring I to the uh, you know the players and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was a great uh response, Larry. That was that was really funny. I track um, Vince knows this. I track everything. Uh, <laughs> yes, no question. Uh Gabe wants to know with Notre Dame's current defense, what point per game would the offense need to have to be a championship winning team? Or I, I would say championship caliber. Yeah. It's not so much points per game during the regular season. 
it's the points per game to, for the regular season is indicative of what kind of ability you have to go out and score in those bigger games. But here's the reality. Okay. Here you, you, you want some numbers and, and I'm pretty sure this is accurate. It's, it's one way or the other, but teams that have won the four playoff games have averaged, I believe like 39 and a half points per game. Teams that have won the national title games have averaged like 40 points a game. It's either it's, it's, you could flip them. Right. It's like, you know, it's one or the other. I forget which one to play. But you those teams are scoring 40 points a game. Right. You look at Notre Dame. Notre Dame played pretty good defense against Clemson in 2018. They gave up 30 points. Played pretty good defense against Clemson or against Alabama and gave up 31 points and would have gave up more. You know, mm-hmm. played pretty solid football that game. I mean, they pretty much scared Alabama out of throwing the ball past 20 yards in the first quarter. Right. So you have to be able to you have to be able to get to 30 plus points per game in the playoffs, the playoff games. You have to if you want to win. It's just it's just rare. I mean, I think the only time Alabama's they had that one game over Clemson where they won 24 to six in 2017. And that same year is when they beat Georgia by scoring 20 something. But as I said, that was a down year. It was a Kelly Bryant led Clemson offense. It was two SEC teams in the title game. That year was the anomaly. The title winner for every other year, I think Ohio State scored, what, 42 in 2014. Alabama scored 45 in 2015. Clemson scored 35 in 2016. Then you had the 27 anomaly. 2018, Alabama scored – or Clemson scored 44 points in the win. 2019, LSU scored 42 points in the win. And this past year, Alabama had, what, 54 against Ohio State in the title game? Right? So you got to be able to score. Yeah. Now, does that mean that Notre Dame would have to score 54 to beat those teams? No, because Notre Dame had a better offense than, than than Ohio State did last year, or better defense than Ohio defense. State did last yeah. year. <clears throat> but you're not going to beat them 23 to 20. And, and you know, right. especially because here's the other thing you have to think about. These games are always played in nice climates. You know, it's it's not like it's going to be played outdoors in South Bend, Indiana, where it's 25 degrees and it becomes a slogger of a game. It's going to be played Miami or Texas or, or California indoors. or Georgia or something like that, right? Yeah. And so, you know, it's you, you got to be able to score. But you, mm-hmm. you know, what you could be a 40 point per game team in the regular season, but if you only score 17 in the postseason, you're still going to lose. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gabe wants to know is it possible that Notre Dame planned on getting a lot of big possession receivers this year because they love their chances with elite after catch receivers next year? Yeah, we've talked about that recently in a couple shows. Uh, okay. Yeah, it could be. We need to see him do it first. You know, I've yeah. talked about, you know, maybe they just don't think highly of Xavion Bradshaw. And there's not a lot of other slot guys available. And they're, they're looking at like Jalen Brown and Nathaniel Joseph and guys like that next year. And they think they got a shot. And they may look at their current roster. You know, we got a couple of those guys, but, you know, we need to get some size in this class in 2022. Say, yeah, we've talked about that. That's certainly a possibility. I just need to see them actually get those guys, though. That's the problem. Right. You know, right. and you've got a guy in Xavion Bradshaw who's a really good football player who fits that mold who you could get. And getting him this year doesn't mean you can't take Jalen Brown and Nathaniel Joseph next year. That's where more and more I'm coming from. And again, I'm not against big guys, but you don't need four of them, in my right. opinion. Anthony says, uh, the IB Sweat Hogs. Welcome back. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I like that. Uh, Brandon says, his shirt's in the washer. He's got you, though. Okay, okay. So it's coming. Had to wash. I mean, I get that. You got to wash it before you put it on. I'm I'm with you on that. Let it play out. All right. Um, uh, Greg, uh, NIL question. Are schools allowed to pay students to sell their jerseys or other memorabilia? Or any other way they can directly pay the players. So he's saying that, like Notre Dame, I don't believe so, but I don't know that for a fact. Again, that's so much of this is just I don't know. There's the NCAA literally said our rule is is that there's no rule, right? Right. So I mean, I have no idea. Yeah. 
Next, Brandon says, Tobias Merriweather said he had a two-hour call with Harbaugh and the Michigan staff. I am kind of nervous about Michigan and Merriweather because his dad is a huge Michigan fan. I, I mean, I'm not – I mean, I'm not – if he picks Michigan, it's not going to be because his dad's a Michigan fan. It's right. going to be because he thinks that's the best place for him. I would I would think that a two-hour long call with Jim Harbaugh would actually make you less likely to go to Michigan. <laughs> but I could be wrong on that. <laughs> I couldn't even hold it in on that one. Uh <laughs> Singer put out a few minutes ago that Rice said one of the highlights of his visit was Quinn, and then he felt Quinn could develop him the best. Okay. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. All right. If he um, picks Notre Dame, that's great. Yeah, exactly. If he picks Notre Dame, that's awesome. That's a. am glad that that actually went, uh, went down. Mike Huff. Uh, has, <laughs> so crank up the recruiting on Arch Manning. I've, I've read he likes Notre Dame. Look, y'all. I mean, I guess <laughs> anything's possible. I didn't think we're going to get Brandon Vernon, but – Arch Manning's not coming to Notre Dame, okay? If he takes an official visit to Notre Dame or if he comes back again other than just part of a Midwestern swing, then maybe we can have more conversation with it. Look, it's a big name. Dante Moore's a better player. Dante Moore's from two hours away. Dante Moore is is a much better option and a better player. You know, Arch Manning brings the name, but I just – I don't want to keep asking. I hope he commits, like, somewhere tomorrow because I just don't want to spend the next year talking about Arch Manning. Um, and Mike, that's not on you. It's just I, I've got just in general a hundred questions on Arch Manning. Why do players like Tate transfer to schools like IMG when they already have a national recruiting profile and offers from the most prolific schools? The coaching down there, the competition, the chance at a championship. Competition. It's competition. I mean, and you don't go to IMG unless around. you want to. Yeah. You, not only are you, and yeah, you're you're traveling around and you're playing team good competition on Saturdays, but you're never going to get challenged more on a on a Friday night than you will in practice at IMG. Yeah. It's about wanting to compete and and wanting to be. Co- I mean, the coaching and the development is a big part of it, but it's really about the competition, in my opinion. Maynard Sunny Knapp says, what about the red zone ND not getting six? How would lose full house backfield? Uh, would Brian do it? I mean, it, it would work against some teams. You know, I mean, it's not so much about the full house or the alignment. It still comes down to execution. It still comes down to, are you able to use formations to get a leverage or a numbers advantage to a side? And can you, can you block and, and get a push into the end? The reason Notre Dame's back, full house backfield worked is not because the full house backfield. It's because the offensive line drove the other team in the end zone. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what a bullet time. How many times we see Jeff Burris run into the end zone untouched out of that? It wasn't <laughs> because of the full house. It was because of the fact that the offensive line mm-hmm. was dominant. I mean, yeah. and and I get the and I get that Maynard, and, and it's a very good question. But to me, it's just about look, you've got to you've got to execute, and you've got to have an, an offensive line that gets a push. I remember you asked how old Michael Morris was. Okay. So yeah. So I mean, and so I get it. Yeah. I mean, that's I'm, I'm with you. So like, we grew up where our entire lives was about defense wins championships, and the fact is, is my statement now is defense will get you to the dance, but it's the offense that's going to win you a championship at this point in time. Nate Wallace says I deleted my Twitter account a few months back. No regrets. So I'm relying on y'all for my oh, Notre Dame info. I wish I could do that. Keep coming back, man. I yeah. I kind of do too. <laughs> yeah. All I put on there is IB stuff and. Riley baseball stuff like that's it like it's it's yeah. all work related because yeah. you have to anymore. Yep. Um, let's see. So Liam Gaming's got a good one, Vince. Two Thank two you. down from there. Do you see that? Oh one? yeah. Uh, is the SI recruiting rankings done differently than the others, and how? So I'm gonna I'm gonna assume you're going with I'm gonna okay. So the the position rankings. It's I mean it's it's subjective like any other. You know we we pick who we think are the best players and that kind of stuff. The team rankings is based on and. Uh, 
is also subjective. Whereas a rivals and two four seven, it's points based. For SI and All American, it's okay. We evaluate, and it's John, primarily John Garcia, but he he gets input from other people. But John Garcia and his staff is what I mean. But it's okay. It's looking at the talent, the impact talent that you got. It's did you meet your needs? Are, are are you recruiting to fill holes and to meet needs? Did you did you have success in the areas where you needed to have success? And then do you have balance in your class? Not you know where a points based system is. You could be great at two positions, land three five stars at two positions, and then you have you had two offensive linemen who were three stars. You didn't sign a quarterback and, and all these other things, and you didn't fill three of your holes, but you had you know five highly ranked players at two positions. You didn't meet your needs. You don't have a great class. Whereas a team like Notre Dame may not have any five stars, but they've met needs across the board up to this point in time better than anybody else. They're going to be ranked higher. And so it's a little bit more subjective and it's more built on analysis and criteria that a college coach would look at instead, as opposed to, okay, depth of talent and, you know, impact talent, meeting needs, filling holes, you know, uh, balance and those kind of things is, is what it looks like. Let's see. Oh, Corey D, real quick. Do you expect to see more running back screens, jet sweeps, et cetera, this year? I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. We're actually kind of winding down to these finals. So um, you got these last couple events. We'll go Brandon, Jonathan, and then D-Rock to finish up. Brandon says, uh, if there ever – or is there ever enough pressure felt by the coaching staff to land or recruit a player by the fan base, alumni, or boosters that they may give in to the pressure, or do they just do whatever, whenever? I don't think they listen to the fan base or anybody no. else when they're evaluating recruits no. and things of that nature. I, that's why it's so important that Brian Kelly is the guy that they answer to. Yes. That's absolutely. why he has to be involved in recruiting on a much, much more in, in, intricate basis where it's, if I'm not doing the job, I got to answer to the boss man. Yes. You know what I mean? And that's the only, no, I don't, I don't that's think the only people they should answer I don't to. I think they should. I mean, honestly, like, here's the deal. If Tommy Reese and Dell Alexander genuinely don't think to buy uh, is Avian Brash also play, they can play. They should not change their mind because I keep hammering them for it. Right. Have conviction in your belief. Now, what I think they should do is, is if there are certain people that they know the game, that they should say, hey, man, why do you – and I've had Notre Dame, do, Notre Dame coaches do this in the past. Why are you so high on this kid? Okay, let me explain why. I saw him at this event. That's why I think of his film. And we have conversations about it. And and then, you know, you could maybe do something then. But, I mean, if they are convicted in something, then they should stay convicted in that. And I don't mm-hmm. care what Rivals thinks about it, 247 thinks about it, SI All-American thinks about it, ESPN thinks about it, Brian Driscoll thinks about it, Vince Darrow thinks about it, Tom Lloyd thinks about it, Tim Priester thinks about it, or anybody else thinks about it. You have to have conviction in what you believe. Right. And 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 then roll with it and have the conviction to say, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. If I'm right, you know, but you can't say, well, why did you take that kid and it hurt your – well, you know, what well, Driscoll thought he was good. Well, you're still getting fired, and I'm still – at Irish breakdown, you know, <laughs> but it, it's got to be your conviction. Yeah. And that that's ultimately what it's about. Jonathan says, got here late. I can't believe the show is still going. I love you and me both. Crew. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Vince was just so excited to be back, you know, that it just kept on going. But I know. He I'm, goes, like, uh, <laughs> I'm right there with you. Uh, any chance you guys could or would pay players for appearances on this no. show? No. Yeah. That, no, I'm not paying players to come on the show. If they want to come on the show, great, but I'm not paying players to come on the show. No. Right. I, I have uh, no intention of getting into the business of of paying players to do anything I was to break down because to me that would create and it's not because I have an issue with it, it that would create such an incredible conflict of interest for me. Yeah. I'm paying you to play and then I gotta evaluate your game on Saturday. Right. No. Yeah. No. Absolutely. That would that would just be such poor taste on my part. 
I would ne- I would never do that. And then if I praise the kid, oh, you just say that because he does advertising for you. Right. That would be such an incredible conflict of interest. Now, separate, yeah. you know, if some guy wanted to do something that, that you know, is no longer at Notre Dame anymore, because I don't cover the NFL. I mean, I have people that do NFL stuff, but I don't. Sure, I'd be interested in that. So I don't want it to come across as I'm like very anti NIL or I don't know. I mean, it just, it would be such a bad deal for me professionally from a professionalism standpoint how can mm-hmm. i maintain professionalism about a kid who i paid money to come on my show and then my job requires me to evaluate and give honest analysis of that player it would just put me in a even if i was giving honest analysis of the player which i would how do i convince people that right. my my positive reviews of him are based on that and then i'm going to go criticize you, you criticize that kid well, well then why are you having him do commercials for you if you you that's how some people yeah. react. So no, sure. I have no intention of doing that. We get a last. Do we get another super <laughs> yeah, chat? That's sure so did. awesome. John, John, jumping right back in with the super chat, my man. Thank you, sir. He says uh, a lot has been said about uh, Jay Quinn as a recruiter. How is he as a teacher? Was a head coach at uh, UB Buffalo. With, yep, University of Buffalo uh, with one winning season of four. I think he's a good teacher. Look, my whole thing with Jeff Quinn is I have never said Jeff Quinn's a bad coach. He's a good coach. You don't have the success over 20 years at Grand Valley State and Central Michigan and Cincinnati if you're not a good coach. It's just that he's not an elite coach, and he's not a great coach, and I think that Notre Dame could have done better than him when they hired him. But I've you've never heard me say Jeff Quinn's a bad coach. I don't think Jeff Quinn's good enough to go win your national championship at a place like Notre Dame. I also hope that Jeff, Print, Jeff Quinn proves me wrong. I would love it if he would prove me wrong because I think Jeff Quinn's a really good dude. I've never heard anyone say a bad word about him as a person. I've heard a lot of complaints about him as a teacher, but that's usually relative to how he was compared to Harry Heastan. And and so that's an issue. I think he's a pretty good pass pro teacher. Mm-hmm. I don't think yep. he's a really good run game teacher. I think he's a really good guy. I think the players know that, he's, knows that he cares about him. And that's very important to me. That's why I actually root for Jeff Quinn. Yes. Like I, I want Could him not to agree more. Could not agree more. And, and so I would love to be sitting here a year from now talking about how he, he finished with Billy Shrouth and got Zach Rice and, and Notre Dame was a, you know, um, Joe Moore award finalist again. And Driscoll, you were so wrong about Harry. He like, awesome. Great. I hope I am because I like Jeff Quinn. I really genuinely like Jeff Quinn, but I also can't allow that to impact what I sure. see on film. And what I hear from sources, consistently hear from sources. Um, it's just, it's a problem. But I hope he goes out and makes me look like an idiot when it comes to criticizing him the last year or two. I do. D-Rock Irish, he says, it's been a while. So here's a reminder before exiting, hit the like, share, and subscribe notification buttons. Uh, welcome back, Vince. Happy 4th, everyone, and go Irish. That's a great one right there. Yep. Uh, Carmine Burr, does Harry Heastan have a son? Yes. yes. He went to school around here. Uh, while he was with, I think Bears. he's coaching somewhere now, right? Is, is he? Did, did Mike get in? I thought um, Mike got into coaching. He's coaching high school uh, at his old That's high school. I thought. He's That's coaching I thought. with one of my really good friends. Yeah, uh, who That's is the old line coach at his old school. So, very cool. Um, so there you go. He's. I just asked. I said, "Did you coach his son?" And he said, "No, but he coached with me last year." So there mm-hmm. you go. Um, I want to just do this last one from JoJo. Be the last question. And we okay, got, yeah, last question, Coach D, and have a great fourth weekend. What's the difference? Uh, between the li- oh between between the live shows and if we pay for the subscription uh, when you guys are active, 
the subscription is essentially is going to be about the message board and the website. And that's, that's what it is. The yeah, super is. chats uh, are just simply you supporting our YouTube channel and we appreciate them a, a ton. And, you know, we'll always have our YouTube shows are always going to be live and free or not always live. We'll have some that are, are not live, but I mean, we'll always do live shows. We'll never charge. We'll never make them premium. We'll never make them private. Right. We'll never do those things. You, you know, we're going to keep having shows where people stop doing super chats. Right. I mean, just because honestly I had to be talked into by someone who wanted to give a super chat to do super chats. I didn't right. want to do it at first. Cause I was like, yeah. no, I, that's, you know, it's, it's, it looks you, like you say, that's just not how I am. I'm just, yeah, I'm not right. that way. Right. Right. But the web, the, 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 the that is going to be more of a, the, the, the subscription is going to be more for, it's just the website and the message board. And it's not going to go live until we get the message board. Now there's going to be multiple ways you can do it kind of through SI where you'd also get the SI magazine. You could also do it to where you're just going to just do the, 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 the message board and just be with ours breakdown. So uh, you do not have to be a subscriber to be impacted by anything on YouTube. Now we've thought about maybe doing some things where we do an unlisted show where we break some stuff down and put it on the message board simply because there are certain things that we can't monetize on YouTube. We may do something like that. It's not really on my radar just the second, but that would be more for that for that. But that's when when that goes live and we start pushing for memberships at irishbreakdown.com. I want to make sure that you all are reassured. We are still going to do the YouTube channels. We are not going to start paying having people pay for that. If you still want to support us, we greatly appreciate it. If you want to continue to, if you say, you know what, I'm not going to do super chats, but I'm going to become a subscriber to irishbreakdown.com. Cool. If you decide you don't want to be a subscriber to irishbreakdown.com and you don't want to give us super chats and you still want to listen to the shows, cool. You know, because that that is a way that you can still support us. So uh, we'll have all types of different ways. Some people like shows. Some people don't. Some people like written words. Some people don't. And so what we're trying to do is make sure that we can provide great content on all types of different platforms for all types of different people. And if you're someone who's going to support us on every one of those platforms, God love you. You know, we appreciate that. But, uh, you know, that's what we're going to be. But the one thing he did say that I want to make sure we definitely emphasize is have a happy yeah. Happy Fourth of July. We live in the greatest country in the world, and if that bothers you, I'm sorry, but you are wrong, and I am right. <laughs> uh, and uh, this is such a, a phenomenal weekend. And I'm a big history guy, Vince. And you know, and um, yeah, I was actually watching Midway last night, the new version of Midway. And that Ooh. movie, when it came out, it came out in '76, but I watched it when I was a kid. Was one of the things that sparked my love of history, and and you know especially American history and the ups and the downs of American history. And it was one of two movies that I watched as a kid that really sparked my love of history, and uh, and just the 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 type of people that that fought that fight. But then going back and just the 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 founding period and the just the all the fascinating things that came from that, and just the the a bunch of flawed men. The, who I believe through divine intervention, I truly believe this, came up with a, a principles that even though they weren't living out all of those principles themselves, created a principle through the, began with the Declaration of Independence that has led to the greatest free, freedom this world has ever known. And um, I absolutely, very proud to be an American. There's no question about it. And I always feel that way on July 4th. The only bad thing about July 4th, Vince, is my dog gets petri Rita gets petrified really? by fireworks yeah and so since no one just does them on the fourth it's like they already started last uh, night and they're gonna go for the next week and a half my poor dog's gonna be shaking every day we have to put oh, yeah. like the storm you know the storm oh, shirt those yeah. thunder shirts on yeah. and all that but uh, uh yeah it's worth it 
So, all right, everybody, thank you so much, everyone, for being a part of the show today. Uh, we, this is by far our longest show that we've done. Uh, also, I think probably the most super chats we've ever had. I can't tell you how much I appreciate all the all the loyalty you all have shown, all the support you guys have shown. Great to have Vince back. Everyone have a wonderful, happy 4th of July this weekend, and we'll talk to you again soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.